episode 220, Hot Shot Scott, of Mitch Unfiltered. I didn't even think there was an area code of 220. There is. There's an area code in the United States of 220. You don't only want to take a guess, do you? Oh, of course I want to guess. It's in uh, <laughs> Duluth, Minnesota. I already nailed it. All right, see you tomorrow. Steubenville, Ohio. Hello. <laughs> Steubenville. I think that's where Dean Martin's from, actually. No. Nah. Come on. Come on. You know that? Let me look it up. Hold on one second oh, here. It's what I do. This is all I do. Is Dean just... Martin from Steubenville, Ohio with area code 220. <laughs> That's the way we're starting episode 220. <laughs> I mean, us and every other podcast out yes. there is talking about where he was born. Who doesn't know where Dean Martin's from? In fact, I would say that there's probably 80% of our listeners don't even know who Dean Martin is, for God's sake. <laughs> you mean Dino Paul Crocetti? Yes. Oh, sure they know who, who he is. Where's he so from? he was born. He was born in a place called Steubenville, Ohio. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. Who says I'm good for nothing? Well, Who says it? I can promise you that when Dean Martin was born in Steubenville, Ohio, <laughs> yeah, two two zero was not the area code. In fact, there may not have even been phones in Steubenville, Ohio, <laughs> when he. But it is now southeastern section of Ohio has the area code of 220. I'll have you know, Steubenville, Ohio. Hello. There you go. And that's, uh, by the way, I need to get rid of this stuff in my head. I've told you before, <laughs> I need a garage sale to take to the dump the stuff I don't need. Good Lord, how do I know that? Ladies and gentlemen, Mitch Unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms, Hot Shot Scott. We request that you click the little subscribe button so that all of your epic Monday shows are delivered right to your phone. If you'd like to have access to our bonus pods each week, Hot Shot, three or four shorter shows, become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at MitchUnfiltered.com. Normally $5 a month, but I've got a major <laughs> announcement. <laughs> okay. I'm excited to announce that we are extending the hugely popular half-price holiday deal <laughs> until January 1st, but for new patrons only. Only oh, new gotcha. patrons get the extension. If you have never become a patron of Mitch Unfiltered or you haven't been a patron in a long time, you have until January 1st. That's right. Get all of our shows for the entire 2023 year for half price, $2.50 per month. All you got to do is send me an email, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and I will personally, Hotshot, set everybody up, extending the holiday discount until January 1st, but only for new patrons of Mitch Unfiltered. And don't make Mitch stare at his email and then <laughs> see a tumbleweed go rolling by. A tumbleweed with a cricket on it waiting for new people. Come on. Sign up. Let's go. I've decided not to answer and not to set up anybody. So for all of you people, and there have been tons that have sent me mail to try to get the, uh, the discount for 2023, I'm going to do them all at the same time. I'm going to send all of you email back just as we enter the new year, and then we'll make the 12 months kind of a clean 12 months. Yeah. January to December 2023, $2.50, half price discount for the holidays if you email me, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Okay? Money well spent. Money well spent. Now, yeah. I can promise you that I'm not in Steubenville, Ohio. Ask me where episode 220 is originating from, 
Hotshot Scott. Well, we know it's not in Bellevue, Washington, where I typically go. So uh, I'm wondering exactly where the hell you are with this. If you're out of town with this insane weather the Northwest has been having, yes. you're a braver person than me. Where are you? Why does that make me brave? That makes me smart to leave the bad weather behind. No? But at some point, you have to come back. <laughs> I tried. I tried. <laughs> that might be the tough part. All right. Okay, all right. I'm going to tell you my crazy, my latest crazy travel story. I have lots of travel stories that we've talked about on the show. Okay. But I'm a little bit hesitant because I want to make sure that you and everybody else understands that I don't really want to sound like I'm complaining because I, I fully understand there are hardships a lot worse that others are facing than my travel issues, my family's travel issues. But they're interesting nonetheless because you may find that you didn't know the way airlines handle certain things. And the other thing is I love Alaska Airlines. I do. It's my favorite airlines by a million. And it's still my favorite airlines. It just happens to be the centerpiece of our our travel (laughs) disaster for the holiday season. And I don't want people to think, oh, he's ragging on on Alaska Airlines because I really don't want to do that. I just want to tell you the story. Okay. So I bring my family down on Monday after our last podcast. And we scheduled to be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, leaving Friday. The four of us come down. We figured the kids are out of school. We'll take in Los Angeles. We'll go to a Clippers game. Maybe we'll go to Disney. We'll do some eating, some fine dining, and we'll sit by the pool and we'll be here for four days, Monday through Friday. Like it. Friday comes. Of course, there's a lot of bad weather back in Seattle that we missed, an ice storm and all the rest. Mm-hmm. Friday comes and our plane, which is scheduled to leave LAX at 730 Alaska Airlines, gets canceled. We are notified at about two o'clock in the afternoon that our plane has been canceled because of oh. bad weather in Seattle. And you're looking around at the sun shining in L.A. You're like, Correct. there's no bad weather in this country. Yeah. Come on. Everything's great. I'm thinking, OK, what's the big deal? We'll stay an extra night. Yes, we've packed. Yes, we've checked out of our hotel. Yes, we were kind of almost on our way to the airport. We'll stay an extra night. We'll get rescheduled. Alaska Airlines will get us rescheduled, and we'll come back on Saturday instead of Friday, right? Pretty easy. Not bad. We get on the phone with Alaska, and we are on hold for three hours. Literally three hours on hold from 2 to 5 o'clock trying to figure out what we're going to do on our schedule plans. But we understand everybody's trying to do the same thing. Horrible weather in Seattle. Lots of people on hold. We get it. I once told you a story on this here podcast about a guy in Colorado who was on hold for 12 hours with the airlines. Okay. Asked for a callback. Actually got it four hours later, but missed it because he fell asleep. (laughs) Then he had to wait for another eight. He finally drove to the airport to make his reservation. That's how fed up he was. So I'd say three hours, you're kind of ahead of the game at this point. We literally went to the California Pizza Kitchen with the phone on hold on speaker, listening to (laughs) the music of Alaska (laughs) Airlines. Had a full meal, went back. You know, we, we were all over the place. And finally, they get on the phone. A reservation specialist from Alaska Airlines. Very nice lady. Don't know where she was. I love Alaska Airlines. I still love Alaska Airlines. I don't want people thinking, oh, he's bashing Alaska Airlines. Right. They get on the phone and they tell us, yeah, your plane has been canceled because of bad weather. Let's see. Let's get you on the next available plane out. Mr. Levy, the next, uh, this is, this is by the way, Friday, December the 23rd. Okay. I can get one of you on a plane on December 26th. I can get two of you on a plane December 27th, and I can get one of you on a plane December 28th. 
And I can see that the boys are already raising their hands to volunteer for the two on the 27th. We're happy to hang here without no, one of you guys. The boys wanted to go home. Oh, did they really? Yes, they, the they boys enough, wanted huh? to go home. The boys wanted to be with their pals. They want to be with their yeah. friends. We were done with Los Angeles. They wanted to go home. And now okay. we're faced with having to stay here an extra three or four days. Not one yeah. day, three or four days. Right. And I'm saying to myself, well, geez, what if... What if we couldn't afford to stay here for three or four? I mean, luckily, <laughs> yeah, we, sure. can af- we can afford to do it. What, was this, what, what would happen if this was a family of four who had budgeted just enough money, saved enough money to come down to a trip to Disney World or what have you for four days, and they were being told, weather has canceled your, your flight, and now you're forced to stay in Los Angeles for another four days. And let's say they didn't have the financial means to do that. They, right. Every single meal you eat out. Yeah, it's not cheap. You got to get a new hotel room. In this case for us, it was two hotel rooms. You got to get. So I say to Alaska, well, will you pick up the tab? Well, can I get a voucher for, you know, normally I thought airlines will pick up the tab. They'll get a you'll get a voucher for a hotel room or you get food vouchers, whatever. And they say to me, sorry, sir, nothing. We can do nothing about it because it's a weather cancellation. Mm, and I said, I so how do I get back to Seattle in less than three or four days? Well, you can't do it by by plane. Maybe you can drive. Wow. Okay. That's their recommendation. OK, here's the kicker to the story. I love Alaska <laughs> Airlines. I will always love Alaska Airlines. The flight that was an hour before ours. And by the way, the 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 weather, as I understood it, was getting better and better. The ice was melting. You guys were telling me the ice was melting Rapidly. on Friday night. Yeah. On Friday night. And we had like an 8.30 flight or a 7.30 flight on Friday night. I come to find that the flight right before us, like 45 minutes before us, left. Not on time, was delayed. But it left and it arrived in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So how are we a weather cancellation if some of their other flights are going from LAX to Seattle and landing safely in Seattle? Explain that right. to me. Doesn't sound like a completely a weather cancellation to me. It sounds like maybe they didn't have the plane. They didn't get back from Seattle, what have you. Sounds like more of an Alaska Airlines problem than a weather problem. If, in fact, the flight right before us, just 45 minutes before us, took off late but arrived safely in Seattle. How are we considered a weather cancellation? So already long story short, Sharon and the boys rent a car. Oof. And they say, we're not staying here for three or four days. Dad, you stay to do your podcast. I had to do recordings all day on that Saturday, the next day. They rent a car. They get in the car at LAX, and they drive straight through 18 hours to Seattle and arrive in Seattle at like 1 o'clock in the morning the next They don't even stop for a a hotel break. They stop for food or what have you. Gas and stuff. How much do you want to think that that costs to rent a car at LAX and drop it off in Seattle at SeaTac <laughs> International Airport? I don't know. I don't even want to know. I, I rented a few cars this past summer and it was, yeah, it's always way more than you think. So I have no clue what, what that would cost. Well, if you're bringing it back to where you rented it from, it doesn't cost all that much. Yeah. But when, but, you're, taking yeah. It, when you're taking it two states away... <laughs> And dropping it off in Seattle, Washington, I come to find a $600 delivery fee. Oh, nice. To go along with the rest of the rental. Ladies and gentlemen, $900 later on a rental car. 
Ooh. Oh, man. Nine, a $600 delivery fee. <laughs> $900 it costs for my family to drive the 17 or 18 hours from LAX to Seattle so that they could get home. And here I sit still a couple of days later <laughs> in Hollywood, California, talking to you, Hotshot, on episode yes. 220. I still want to know what would happen if we were a family that couldn't afford the hotel rooms and the food and being away for another four yeah. days. What would happen to us? And we can't rent a car and go because we, we can't afford the $900. What would happen to a family of four that was in this predicament? Yeah, you turn into the guy who was living in that Paris airport for 25 years. That's who you turn into. I mean, you got, you'll be sleeping in the airport. You have nowhere else to go. You got no money. What else can you do? You, you know, your yeah, wife and kids are forced to sleep at LA. I mean, not only do you not get home for Christmas, not that we yeah. cared so much about that. We play for the other team. I got stuck in Las Vegas for 9-11 and, you know, money problems do come up, it turns out, in Las Vegas from time to time. And uh, I was not prepared for another five days in the casino. So uh, luckily I had, a, I had a friend who lived in Vegas and I just crashed at his house. But yeah, I mean, you're right. What do you what do you do if, if you don't have the money to do that? It's scary. I guess you just sleep in the airport. Enjoy. And is is Alaska Airlines, love Alaska Airlines, will always love Alaska Airlines, is Alaska <laughs> Airlines allowed to tell us that this is a weather cancellation when other flights from the same airport to the same airport left safely and arrived safely? I don't because I think, <laughs> what, what, the, I, because think I get think, executive for Alaska. I because don't know. <laughs> because I think I think the reason I ask that is because I think if it's if it's not considered a weather cancellation, they then are obliged to take care of that family of four in some way, shape, or form, whether it be with hotels, getting them on another flight, getting them on a quicker flight, food vouchers, whatever. That's that's yeah. where I'm going with that. I, I don't... I don't accept that they can call it a weather cancellation if they've got other flights that made the trip. That's all I don't know. Okay. I just hope you get you got a credit for the other three tickets, I yes. assume, right? So the okay, way it good. works out, yes. I think we paid about $175 or $200 each way, something like that. So we okay. get half of we get about 175 times three. So that's 350, that's 525. And then we have to hand out nine hundred dollars for the rental car. So <laughs> it comes out of and I'm and I'm still sitting here. I'm still vacationing in Hollywood, California, talking to you and uh, you know, living in a vacation. hotel. So hopefully I mean, I'll get back sometime sometime very soon before the new you, year. You guys went to L.A. for the price of going to Maui. I mean, that's some deal. <laughs> Christ, you could have gone to Hawaii. Oh. Beat oh, the well. Boys presented by Fireside Home Solutions. All your fireplace needs this holiday season. Uh, Fireside homesolutions.com week 17 is coming up here are your three games and your password fins at patriots jets at seahawks vikings at packers password alamo as in the alamo bowl that's going to happen this week password Ooh, alamo right. yes a l a m o all lowercase uh, guests on this episode 223 i think you're going to love three terrific guest segments i'm leading off with new heisel because Neuheisel decided to tell us some bowl stories from his past, both as a player and as a coach, and I loved him. You're going to love his stories. He was a victim of food poisoning at the Rose Bowl when he played. He's going to tell you that story. He was throwing up all night. 
He's going to oh. tell you the story of running into Fred Couples at the Cotton Bowl and Fred Couples wanting to make a bet on the game and trying to get inside information <laughs> from him. It's a classic. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a classic. We'll talk about the dogs and Texas and the Alamo Bowl. We'll talk about the college football playoff semifinals, which are going to happen this week as well. Uh, that's segment number one, interview segment number one. We've got the first ever Washington Huskies no table. Never. I've done a Mariners no table. I've done a Seahawks no table. I've never done a Washington Huskies hmm. no table. So Christian Capel of the Athletic, Danny O'Neill, our okay. guy, signing day recap. Last week was signing day, transfer yep. portal day. Lots of guys coming, lots of guys going as we get ready for the Alamo Bowl. So uh, segment number two of the interviews will be a first ever Washington Huskies no table. And then the Seahawks no table with Brady, Joe, and myself, the loss to the Chiefs. The Jets and Rams games coming, still a shot to make the playoffs, believe it or not, even having lost five of your last six. So that's your interview lineup for episode 220. And now that we've reached the week between Christmas and the New Year hotshot, very important to once again say thank you to my partners on Unfiltered. Standing by my side from the beginning, Zeke's Pizza, from Bellingham south to Portland, Seattle east to Spokane and Boise too, Zeke's Pizza does it the right way, homegrown in the Northwest. Lindsey Schwartz and Daniels Broiler have been with me forever. My son even works there at the Bellevue location for the last three years. Leshy, South Lake Union, downtown Seattle, atop the world at Bellevue Place, Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions. Fireside is the title sponsor for virtually every fun contest and promotion that we run. Whatever you need, Mitch, is always the answer. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Jordan Flowers. What can I do for your listeners, Mitch? How about I give the Mariners tickets for the final homestand of the year? Dozens and dozens of tickets given out. J Flow has been incredible. So give them a look at your mortgage needs, 425-890-2957. Tyler Hay and Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisor, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments all under one roof. Evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. This is episode two. 120. I guess it's the last one of the year, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. Everybody yeah. knows when he starts rolling yeah. how effing entertaining the guy is. Yeah. But when you listen to him talk, he's not a vivacious speaker. He's a very almost a little bit of a monotone. Sure. He's not yeah, he's yeah. not really kind of a excitable guy. Unfiltered. Would it have been an easier year if they just sucked from the beginning? And they never gave us any kind of hope. And they never teased us with that four-game stretch, which had them, like, atop the NFC West. And we were like, oh, my God. Yeah. Mitch is unfiltered. All righty, Hotshot Scott. Episode 220, now officially underway. Zanesville, Ohio. Hello. Right. The birthplace of Joey Bishop, of course. <laughs> as everyone knows, right? <laughs> 
Does anybody even know who these Joey Bishop is? No. Do you know Joey Bishop? I know. Is, right? I know who Joey Bishop is, but nobody yeah. in our audience knows who Joey Bishop. Is. Okay. Yeah. You. I mean, you've you've been an old man for a long time. Yes, so I of have. course you know who who the Rat Pack is. Yes, yes, I. Yes, I have. How about a little uh, a little stump the band from me to get this oh, segment underway? What do you really? say? Yes, I'm ready. A little stump the band. It can't be sports related if it's you. Sports. <laughs> People still watching that? Um, you remember Tony the Tiger schlepping Frosted Flakes for 50 years? I'm sure he's still doing it, right? You remember Tony the Tiger? Of course. It's right. great. Or they're great. Of course. There you go. All right. The man who voiced Tony the Tiger for five decades, by the way, also sang a really popular Christmas song that's played ad nauseum every single year. Now, I, I know you're not a huge Christmas music person, so this might not be a fair question. What are you but... talking about? I love Christmas music. Everybody knows that. Oh, you do? Yes. Okay. I don't know I don't know who the Tony the Tiger voice was, and I don't know the well, connection. Can, I, yeah, well, I can I know. You what... can recognize it. It's yeah. a little deep. Are there any Christmas oh. songs with oh. somebody who sings deep? Uh, tell me. No, 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 no. Tell me. You're a mean one. Oh. Mr. Grinch. Really? That is Thurl Arthur Ravenscroft, a voice actor who worked for Disney for years. He he was the he's the voice that when you go to the haunted mansion, he's the singing bust. He's also the country he worked on the Country Bear Jamboree, the Mark Twain Riverboat. He's this famous voice actor who did Tony the Tiger and sang. He's uncredited too, which is weird on the Grinch song. He probably did it for like a hundred dollars and just like moved on with his life. And Can't be still alive. It's been going on forever. Can't be still no, alive, he, is he? He passed away in 05 which is longer than I, you know, he had a, he lived till 91. So that's, wow. you know, you, you, you could have had him on the old, uh, the old radio show back in the day. Thurl Ravens. I, I would have never that? known that. So the guy who sang Mr. Grinch also was yep. Tony the Tiger in all those commercials, all those years. You are correct. Wow. There was a guy that did Tony the Tiger for like a year and then he got bumped for this guy. But oh. yeah, he was like a famous, famous voice actor. He did Tony the Tiger Fabulous. for five decades. Everyone thinks it's James Earl Jones for some reason who sings the Grinch song, but no, it's not James Earl Jones. It's Thurl Ravenscroft and he deserves his due for God's sakes. Amazing. And you knew that how? You read that recently or you knew that all this time? Because I'm me and because I'm a psychopath and I look this sort of shit up nonstop. Yes. I had this this Halloween album that Disney put out in the 70s called The Haunted Mansion. And oh. it told a story of two teenagers that were lost in the woods and all the sound effects. And I used to listen to it all the time. By the way, one of the teenagers voiced by Ron Howard. Um, and then I was wondering who the narrator was. So I looked it up and it was Thrill Ravenscroft. Oh, he also did Tony the Tiger. Oh, he also did The Grinch. So oh. that's how I've known about it for all these years because I'm me and I'm a psychopath. Oh, beautiful. You stumped me on Stump the Band. Listen, I love the week between Christmas and New Year's, but before we do that, I know the Seahawks lost to the Chiefs. Everybody knew the Seahawks were going to lose to the Chiefs, and the Seahawks went out and lost to the Chiefs. <laughs> but you know that there was a bigger, a much more important game for the Seahawks this weekend than the Seahawks-Chiefs game. You do know that, right? Yes, I think I do. There was a game on Sunday that nobody in the world cared about except for John Schneider, Pete Carroll, and anybody who plans to be back with the Seahawks next year, and me. There was a game on Sunday afternoon right here. I could have gone to it if I didn't have to record the Fakakta podcast. <laughs> right. I don't think anybody wanted to go to this game. It matched the 4-10 Rams against the 4-10 Broncos. Now, of course, you know where I'm headed with this. Yes. You realize that that game that happened on Sunday afternoon, that the Rams came through and beat the Broncos. You understand the significance of that game was ridiculous because with the Rams beating the Broncos on Sunday afternoon and the Seahawks having the Broncos 
first-round draft choice. The Broncos fall to 4-11. and And as of the moment, they would have the third overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. The Seahawks would. And I'll give you a little cherry on top. Okay. They are now at 4-11, and just one game behind the Bears. And if somehow over the last couple of weeks, the Broncos lose and the Bears win and they end up in a tie, it looks as if right now at the moment, the tiebreaker is strength of schedule, that the Broncos would actually pass the Bears and have the number two overall pick, which they would give to the Seattle Seahawks. Unreal. On the flip side to that, had the Broncos beaten the 4-10 and 10 Rams with Baker Mayfield on Sunday afternoon here in Los Angeles, the Broncos, by going to 5-10, and 10, would have dropped all the way down to the eighth pick. Now tell me, even you know, the difference hmm. between number eight and number three or number eight and number two in the first round of the upcoming it was an absolutely bonkers game. Hugely yeah. important. Much more important. Like if you said to me, you can either have the Seahawks beat the Chiefs or you could have the Rams beat the Broncos, but you can't have both. I would have said, I'll take the Rams. You can have the Chiefs win. That's how big this game was. I mean, number number two overall. When was the last time a Seattle team had a number two overall I pick? Know. I mean, maybe it was. I can't. Maybe Rick, I don't. Rick Meyer. I don't know. Uh, was Kevin Durant number two? Oh, you're talking about any Seattle team? Yeah, just any I, I was, Seattle I team. You're talking about the Seahawks team. I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Durant might have been number two, yes, because Greg Oden was number one. Isn't that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. I mean, that's a, yeah, number, that's a huge, huge deal. Thing. Huge deal. Because it gives, it still gives the Seahawks the flexibility of either picking, probably the flexibility of either picking a quarterback, one of those two quarterbacks, or the best defensive player in all of college football, whoever that might be. The Georgia defensive yeah. lineman, Will Anderson, the linebacker of Alabama. Picking number two or number three is huge. Huge. And picking number eight is okay. I mean, it's good, but this was just an incredibly important game. No four and ten versus four and ten game was ever more important <laughs> than the Seattle Seahawks right. than the one on Sunday afternoon. And the Rams came out and Baker Mayfield and they just punched the Broncos in the face. And now the Seahawks. Now, we need the Broncos to continue to lose these last two games, but for now. They're in position to give the Seahawks number two or number three overall in the upcoming draft. Huge. We already do a segment called Beat the Boys. Now we have yes. to do one. Well, I guess well, I guess we do one every week called Beat the Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like every week we're just talking about the, what, what the Broncos are doing and what they have to do. To, you know, to, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. With, did you see that picture of Russell Wilson at a casino yes. on Twitter? Was, was that real? Was that recent? I, don't know. I have a lot of questions. He and Sierra sitting at a table, right? A poker table or a, a blackjack table. Think, he was yeah. kind of looking down, looking grim at his phone. <laughs> oh she God. was playing roulette or something. Yeah, I did see that. That was a couple of weeks ago. I saw that. Yeah, sad. I don't know why it's sad. The guy can do whatever he wants with his money, but it was sad. And by the way, does his heart rate go up when he wins $15 on a hand of blackjack? I don't know. Uh, no, Maybe don't he's know. playing 500 a hand. Uh, I don't know. But it's just something weird during the season and kind of sad. And uh, you'd think he'd be like afraid to go out in public. People are so angry at him. I don't think of Russell Wilson in casinos. That's the other thing. No, at all. That's so funny you say that. At I all. don't. I don't. I don't think of him as a gambler. I don't think of him as going to a casino. That whole picture just it, it actually humanized him a little bit more. Like I, I remember seeing pictures of Richard Sherman and all the other guys going to the Snoqualmie Casino after games or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah. But but Russell Wilson and Sierra sitting at a blackjack table in like a, <laughs> I know, a Denver so area casino just didn't look right. <laughs> didn't fit. It doesn't look right. Yeah. Inhaling cigarette smoke for four hours. Yes. It just seems like something he'd be totally against. It was just a bizarre picture. How excited are you for the Alamo Bowl? Texas versus the University of Washington. I'm stoked. I, hey, look, we got Penix coming back. I'm going to start counting every single underclassman they talk about and get excited for them in the fall. It's been a while since I've been this excited about Husky football. So I'm a, I'm flirting with a 10 as far as my excitement of, of this game coming up. I don't even love the Huskies as much as you do. I like them. I am so ramped up for this Thursday night's game. I think the Alamo Bowl, now I'm biased, but I think this Texas-Washington game, when all the bowl games are over, you're going to look back and you're going to say, that was one of, if not the best games of the entire bowl. So I, I really do. Mm. The over-under is 68, so it's supposed to be a very high-scoring game. Texas is a slight favorite. you got Penix versus Ewers. You've got Sark versus the University of Washington, 6 p.m. San Antonio on Thursday night. I got a feeling this is going to be a wild, fun, crazy game, just like most of the Washington games. High scoring, like 41-38, and it's yeah. going to be one of the best bowl games, if not the best bowl game. of the. I'm so fired up to watch this game. Yeah, you know, I typically don't like games without defense, but I guess it kind of is what it is after watching the Huskies all year. So I guess, yeah, we can uh, expect the Huskies not to be able to stop anyone, which is why I was kind of excited. I can't wait to, you know, listen to the interviews, but I'm kind of excited about, you know, signing day and, yeah. you know, with the with the portal, it's like free agency kicked off in that's a way. Right. It's kind of fun. That's, a, I, I was that's exactly right. And you're going to hear who's coming and who's going from the Huskies, uh, the first ever Huskies no table. Did you happen to see the story of the quarterback who was supposed to go to Washington out of like South Dakota and flip to Ohio State? Do you know that story? No, tell me. So this quarterback out of South Dakota by the name of Lincoln Keenholz was supposed to go to Washington and then flipped at the last moment and signed with Ohio State in the early signing period. Everybody at Ohio State's very excited. He's a four-star quarterback from South Dakota, like Pierre, South Dakota. And that wasn't even the biggest part of the story. After deciding to go to Ohio State and everybody wondering what made him change his mind, it turns out He says that there was more NIL money at Washington than at Ohio State. The story in the Columbus Dispatch. After all the gyrations of college football's early signing day, Ohio State's 2023 recruiting class ended up ranked sixth in the country. However, there's still been some hand-wringing over the Buckeyes' performance on the recruiting trail. And the comments of one of the players who signed with Ohio State on Wednesday will probably exacerbate that. Quote, I think Washington had better NIL money than Ohio State quarterback Lincoln Keenholtz said, referring to what he could have made early on off his name, image, and likeness in Seattle. I think I can go to Washington, he says, and get money, or I can go to Ohio State and be developed and then potentially reach my goal of going to the NFL, he continued. I know this angers a lot of people, this whole NIL and who's got the most money and everything, but... I don't know why. I kind of think it's cool for some reason. I like that these guys can shop around and get paid. And I don't know. How do you feel about it? Does it annoy well, you that, that they go to the highest bidder? There's or, so, I mean, he didn't, but there's so much to this story. That's interesting. First of all, if true, we don't even know if it's true. Right. If true, apparently there's some money at Washington and NIL deals that we don't really know much about. I haven't heard a lot about NIL money at the University of Washington and to think that a program like and I know that Ohio State's in Columbus, Ohio and Washington's in Seattle. So bigger market. But you would just think, wouldn't you, 
that like a prestigious program like Ohio State would have millions and millions and millions of dollars to throw at these guys. Boosters would have millions and millions and millions of dollars to throw at these guys to come to Ohio State. You would think that there'd be more NIL money at Ohio State than there would be at Washington, no? You would think that, but again, I don't know how it works. Like, let's say just for instance, he's probably not a big fan, but can Jeff Bezos just say, hey guys, Here's fifty million dollars. Go get some good players. C- can they accept that from him? I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, because well, we know the money's in Seattle, but are they allowed to use it? I don't know. Who's it, writing the checks? It doesn't work exactly that way, but for all intents okay. and purposes, it does. I think that the deal cannot involve Washington. I think the deal has to involve Jeff Bezos or Amazon with the actual player. I don't think that Amazon can go to Washington and say, "Hey, here's fifty million. Throw it at a bunch of recruits." I don't think it works that way. But it's, okay. it's, it's almost impossible to police. And how about the shot that he takes? I mean, he already has flipped from Washington, Kalen DeBoer to Ohio State. Does he need to right. take the shot? I think I can go to Washington and get more money, or I can go to Ohio State and be developed and then potentially reach my goal <laughs> of going to the NFL. Does he have to take a shot at Kalen? Where does that come from? I mean, do you think Penix will make it or to his way to the NFL? I hope so. That was the last guy who played for the Huskies, and he'll probably so. be in the NFL. I don't know. I don't. doesn't seem... Have there ever been any quarterbacks who have made it to the NFL from the University of Washington? I think that the Washington's done okay for itself when it comes to quarterbacks, outside of Hugh Millen, I mean, of course. That's right. <laughs> I mean, if, if you want to put a list together of quarterbacks from Ohio State or the University of Washington who have made it to the NFL, I don't know. I I don't know if you want to do that, big Arch boy. Arch Leister made it to the NFL. He bet on every NFL game. <laughs> uh, I stand corrected. Jeez. Three guests, New Heisel, the first ever Washington Huskies no table, and the Seahawks no table. Then we'll do the other stuff on episode 220. Hey, look who I found. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning for Evergreen Golf Call, an incredible partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Katie, how's everyone doing over there at, at Evergreen? We're doing very well, Mitch. How are you? Uh, very well. I'll have you know. Everyone knows by now. Mitch went three for three last time. I'm expecting that the streak is going to continue. Do we have a theme today? Yes. Yeah, so theme today, we're doing an economic update. So I pulled some questions from our most recent podcast, the Evergreen Exchange. Yep. It's a bi-weekly podcast that we put out. It discusses investing, the economy, and other financial planning topics. So for those who are interested in learning more, you can find the Evergreen Exchange anywhere you listen to podcasts. Which is also produced by our producer, Steve. So I'm ready for question number one, Katie. Go. Okay. So the Federal Reserve has been increasing interest rates in 2022 to slow down the economy and fight inflation. Has this year had the quickest increase in rates in 40 years? Is that true or false? Yeah. I think it's true. I think I read something about 40 years. I'll say true, Katie. That's right. We've had the fastest tightening cycle this year. The second fastest was in 1995-1996. We find that the Fed really tends to overcorrect when they're during these tightening cycles, and that has pushed us into recessions historically. We're expecting them to increase rates two more times here in 2022, and so that's part of the reason why the markets are down so substantially, with stocks and bonds both down about 20%. And now I'm on a four-question streak. Let's make it five. Question okay. number two, Kate. All right. Since 1950, there's been 14 Fed hiking cycles where they increase interest rates. How many of these 14 cycles have ended in a recession? Is it six, nine, 11 or 14? Would be a total guess. I can't believe it's 14 and I'm sure six is way too low. I'll go 11. I'll go C, Katie. That's right. You got that one right. Yes. 
Typically what the Fed is trying to do when they increase interest rates is to have a soft landing to ease the economy, to slow it down, but not slow it down too much. And historically, they have not been very successful in doing so. Oh, my God. I'm five for my last five. Shall we quit now or do we go to a question three, Katie? We'll see. This one's a tough one. Okay. Interest rates have increased dramatically this year, which has really shifted the income markets. So in October of 2021, a year ago, a two-year treasury bond was yielding 0.5%. So today, what is that yield? Is it 2.5%, 3.5%, 4%, or 4.5%? Ooh, 3.5%? Stab in the dark? So you didn't quite get that one right. It's actually D, four and a half percent. I tried to trick you with that one by putting it on the end there. It's been a huge amount of income pickup over the last year from 0.5% to four and a half percent for these bonds. So we're finding a lot more opportunities in the income markets versus what we saw a year ago. So while we think there will be continued volatility in the stock market, we're finding a lot of more opportunities to increase income. For those that are interested in learning more about this, how we're positioning portfolio, I'd recommend listening to our most recent podcast and checking out our website at evergreengk.com. And of course, the Evergreen Exchange every other week from Evergreen Golf Call, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and everything wealth. Unfiltered. It's a huge week in college football, ladies and gentlemen. University of Washington versus Texas. The Harvard of Central New York versus Minnesota. All of it culminating with the national semifinals this coming weekend. Taco Time Northwest and its continuing support of the Pacific Northwest presents my time with college football analyst Rick Neuheisen. And I'll tell you what, he's been doing some amazing work both on the golf course And with his picks, although his last pick, I'll remind you, was USC over Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. And you want to know, Rick Neuheisel, how I know you missed that game? How do you know? I spent, well, I've spent a lot of days in in Los Angeles, your old stomping grounds. (laughs) And the hotel where we were staying had all these University of Utah signs all over it. Proclaiming coming to the granddaddy of them all. Proclaiming that Utah's going to be here and Washington's not. And that's how I know you got that pick wrong in the Pac-12 championship game. You can say that my pick was wrong. I prefer to say that the hamstring didn't hold up. I see. Had the hamstring held up, we would be singing a far different tune. So please pass that along to those who are, are in some measure of chagrin, given the fact that it was not a winner on that particular day. But still something like 10 and 4 against the spread over the course of the year. So you're a taco time doing some work, candidate. We'll get to the picks later. I just want to talk to you about just this time of year, the bowl season in college football. You had many bowl experiences as a head coach. I thought maybe you would share some of the fun memories. When somebody says to you, New Eisel, 
Tell us stories. Tell us fun. Wasn't there a Fred Couples Bowl story that you wanted? to tell? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> Cotton Bowl. The Cotton Bowl. Well, let me let me first give you a philosophy. Okay. And I learned this from Terry Donahue. Terry Donahue, of course, was my head coach at UCLA. And as members of the UCLA team, we went to great bowls. Uh, we played in my last two years were both Rose Bowls, which were fantastic. And in those days, Mitch, the uh, the team that went to the Rose Bowl got the 11th share. So it was the Pac-10 at the time. There were 11 shares of bowl money that would go out and the granddaddy of them all paid exorbitantly in comparison to the rest, which right. is why everybody kind of looked down their nose at the Pac-12, Pac-10 and the Big Ten, because they were getting all the money, because the television deal for the Rosedale trumped everybody by enormous amounts. So the 11th share went to the team that went. Mm -hmm. But what you didn't spend of the 11th share came back to the conference and was split 10 more ways. So it was incumbent on the team that went to the Rose Bowl <laughs> to spend it all. So in, in 1982, Oh, excuse me, the 82 season, 83 Rose Bowl, 83 season, 84 Rose Bowl, UCLA was got the 11th share. And we each had our own hotel room suite, individual <laughs> suites for the students at UCLA uh, at the Beverly Hilton. Uh, They're in, Bella, in, in Beverly Hills. And uh, it was off the charts. Wonderful, wonderful experiences. In the 84 game, the game that I was the quarterback, we went to this lavish steakhouse the night before the game. Yeah. And at three o'clock in the morning, I wake up with an, you know, a stomach issue. Oh, and geez. I'm like, wait a minute, what's the matter? <laughs> I um, amongst nine of my teammates had gotten some measure of salmonella. Oh, food poisoning. Oh, and I, I was retching on the hour every hour for wow. the next five hours. Wow. And I went to breakfast the next morning to, on the, on January 2nd, 1984. And I went to Dr. Jim Puffer, who you remember Greg Luganis getting his head stitched. Sure. Sure. After he hit the diving board. Sure. Puffer was the one stitching. He was our team doctor. And I went to, I said, doc, you got anything for a stomach? He goes, you too, which is how I found out the other nine guys. Wow. And he gave me something. And Mitch, I swear to you, it was just a nice little pill. And I have zero knowledge of medical science. I know nothing. I My mom gave me what I should take. I don't take aspirin. I don't take anything. And I asked him somehow, some way it came to my head, will it make me drowsy? And he said, it might. I said, I don't want it. Seven of the nine guys that I told you were ill slept in our locker room during the Rose Bowl that Holy. day. Holy. Seven of nine. Only three of us made it to the field. Oh, my God. I was the only starter. And I felt just punk for so long. My dad was amongst the throng of well-wishers as we enter the Arroyo Seco, yeah. you know, and I, they, Donnie, who didn't want me to be on the team bus, he said, you be in a car. So, you know, you can get the wind in your face and I don't want you throwing up in front of your teammates. And they're all going through, you know, oh if New Isle can't play, who's playing, blah, blah, blah. I said, I'm playing. And I get there and I'm kind of just cursing the almighty, you know, how on this day of all days, I've been sick five times in my life. Literally, this was one of them, though. And my dad, I see him up there and he's just Johnny fan yeah. waving his pom poms and he's banging on the bus like all the Bruin fans. And I'm in the car behind it. And all of a sudden he sees me and I'm expecting this, you know, loving father to come up, put his arm around me. He said, what's the matter, kid? Blah, blah, blah. 
Instead, I get this. You can't be sick today. <laughs> you pinch yourself in the ass and get going. And it has been the mantra of all time of our family. You pinch yourself in the ass and get going. <laughs> and as, as fate would have it, yes. I felt lousy during the pregame. This was NBC when NBC had the, the Rose Bowl. Merlin Olson and Dick Enberg sure. on the call. Sure, right? sure. And uh, it was Van Halen Jump was the song that started the telecast. Uh-huh. So uh, we've got the Fiesta Bowl going early, and it's uh, Ohio State and Pitt, and their game's going to be late. So we're laying in the locker room for, seems like, because we had to get off for the band, but then it was extra, so it was like a half hour. And I'm laying there, and I'm just having this conversation. I said, just let me have this day and I'll be a good guy forever. I mean, these conversations are going through my head. Now it's time to run out on the field. And the Rose Bowl, of course, the granddaddy of them all has that beautiful, iconic rose at the 50-yard line. Sure. And I remember running out there and everybody's in the stands, right? When we were in there for the pregame warmup, the fans, the stands were half full because everybody's out tailgating. Now everybody, because the game's late, is there and it's jammed. And it was the most unbelievable Thing. We ran out, these jets are flying over the top of the stadium, and I just, boom, there was no sign of illness anywhere. The adrenaline shot Incredible. that I got running out, I couldn't feel my hit feet hit the ground. Wow. And I end up going- uh, That's a great story. 22 of 31 for 290, four touchdowns, and I was the game's most valuable player. How about that? How about that? And after throwing up five times- and you raced back to that steakhouse before every big I game. I couldn't for the wait rem- to get back. For the <laughs> remainder of your career. Are we allowed to know the Fred Couples story? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, that's as a coach. Now yeah. I'm coaching in my first bowl game. Yeah. I'm the head coach at Colorado. We beat Kansas State. We're getting the Cotton Bowl. We're playing the Oregon Ducks. CBS was doing the Cotton Bowl at that time. Lance Barrow was the producer of the show. Sure. Lance, sure. who's done the Masters over and over, right? Lance looks at my bio and says, I see you play golf. You know, Freddie Couples lives in Dallas. Would you like to play with him? I said, are you kidding me? Fred Couples? <laughs> I'm in. And it's freezing in Dallas. And Freddie was nice enough to take me and a couple of guys on the staff out for a little nine holes at Glen Eagles out in Plano, Texas. Okay. And it's freezing. He goes, I got some coats. He is handing out Ryder Cup jackets to me and my staff to wear in these nine holes. And I wanted to talk nothing but golf, and he wanted to talk nothing but football. But we had a blast over the nine holes. So I say, Freddie, you got to come on the sideline, be in the game. So now he's on the sideline. He's, you know, we got this drum, this war thing going down. And Freddie's like, holy smokes. And he sees this. He goes, this is unbelievable. And he comes up to me, nudges me before the game. And he says, how are we going to do today? I said, we're going to be fine. And he goes, no, no, no. How are we going to do? Because he wants to gamble on the game. And I got, and I'm going, Freddie, what do you, I can't. I, he goes, I said, we're going to be fine. He says, okay. Okay. So now the game's going. Yeah. And we're up, we're up seven to three. Uh-huh. And Tony Graziani, their quarterback, the lefty, sure. is down inside the 20. And it's right at the end of the first half. And Marcus Washington, my safety, picks him off on the goal line and is going 100 yards for a touchdown. And I'm watching this after it. We did. We score. We're up 14-3. We'd end up winning the game. As he's running, I'm watching the film. I said, wait a minute. Run that back. You see Fred Couple, <laughs> the last 50 yards, who apparently put a big number on this game, <laughs> running with Marcus Washington with his arms in the air. I mean, no master's green jacket, 
could have been any more euphoric for the great Fred Couples as he went down that sideline with Marcus Washington. But I got to tell you, the end of the game, so it's 32-6, to six, and we're winning the game, and it's literally five minutes left in the game, and we got a punt. And they don't put a guy back. They got 11 guys up to block the punt. So I look at Bobby Houck, who was with me at Washington also. Mm-hmm. I said, Bobby, let's run the fake. I mean, these guys, they're not even back. He goes, Coach, we'll walk for a first down. I said, fine. We'll just run the yeah, clock out. I know this story, yeah. So we're going to run the fake. Uh, and then I get this conscious alert. Like, I can't run a fake. It's 32 <laughs> to 6. Mike Bellotti will oh, disown me. He'll be so angry. So I, I try to call it off. Too late. The up back. The upback kid is Ryan Black, who's a fifth-year senior out of Scottsdale. He's never going to play another college game again. I'm running. And he looks over, and Bobby gives him the sign to tell him, <laughs> "Okay, get out of the punt." And it, and the guy looks, and he just shakes us off like a, like a pitcher shaking off the catcher. I said, "Is that the acknowledgement that he's?" going to get out of it he says no that's basically screw you guys this is my last game i'm throwing this pass and he threw the pass beautifully we walked for the first down and the ducks go crazy they're so mad i had my son jerry this was 1996 so jerry's four years old and he's walking off the field with me and these duck fans are you know, with their huey dewey and louie hats on are over the top of the tunnel saying every nasty thing you can say about a human being and Jerry, he wouldn't go to Disneyland till he was 22. I mean, it's just that kind of deal. You would think with what you did for Fred Couples on that day in 1996 that he and Balmer would have taken it easy on you and me many, 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 many years later at the Snoqualmie showdown. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I had such high aspirations for myself. I thought I'm going to play so well. You know, I, I can't wait to just be on on tour with Fred Couples. You know, when I knew I was in trouble when we went to the range and everybody's watching us hit balls and I go, I can't do this. These people are watching. I'm just hitting a ball in a golf range and I'm nervous. I mean, what the heck is going on here? Oh, but it was great fun. You know, bowl games are fascinating things. It's And, and Terry Donahue, I, I go back to Terry. He made them fun. We have to work to be prepared. You have to put in the time and energy and all that stuff. So you'd have a portion of your time where you'd get ready. But when we got to the bowl site, we made sure the kids were going to have a memory, something that was great. So if they if they didn't have great stuff, we'd rent cars so that the cars would take them wherever they wanted to go. And they'd have an opportunity to get out. No curfew. You just be responsible. And then they'd come back. And then three days closer to the game, we'd start whittling it all down and because they were appreciative of being allowed to be a part of a bowl game they responded and terry won eight bowl games in a row at ucla and we had a pretty good record as well uh five and three overall the husky deal we ended up giving up leads we had a big lead against kansas state had a big league against texas and ended up losing those games but uh i believe that the bowl game, as long as you make it fun, the kids are going to play hard. If I said to you back in 1996 to go back to when you played, actually go back to when you played. Yeah. I mean, think about the story that you just told, how important it was for you to play in that game, to not be drowsy, to come out and the experience. And I told you a young, whatever you were, 20 years old at the time. Yeah. Was going to opt out someday. If I would told you that in 40 years, 35 years, Rick, Lots of players were going to choose not to play in bowl games to protect everything that they had and waltz off to the NFL draft. You would have said what to me? I say it every time this subject comes up on my own radio show, Mitch. I feel sick for these kids. They've been sold a bad bill of goods. 
they think that they're off to this utopia that is the NFL. And I hope to, to say, I hope it works out for you. But to miss the granddaddy of them all, to miss a chance to play in a sacred, hallowed ground that is sure. just reeks of college football, sure. to not play in that game, to, to, and just to not play with your best friends. Your college buddies are your best friends. To not play one more game with them, regardless of the venue, is ludicrous. I feel horrible, and I put it on the NFL, and I know the NFL doesn't want to hear it right? Uh, because they're a business. But I would say to the NFL, you have all these 32 teams going around, and you pick the 125 kids, and you say the top 100 are getting an insurance policy to play. We're going to take care of it. It's a one-game deal. We'll take care of it. And if they don't want it, then the 101st gets it. The 102nd gets it. But to deprive these kids, and it's all money people that are going to these guys and saying you can't afford it. Can't play. You're, uh, you can't afford it. Nonsense. These are about memories because those you're going to have a hell of a lot longer than the scratch you put in your pocket for the two or three years you're going to be in the NFL. And that reason alone is the reason that why we don't do the taco time, who's doing some work today, I'm going to do it anyway. Because my taco time, who's doing some work, are two guys by the name of Bryce Young and Will Anderson. Thank you. And let me tell you something. I've, I've already done this on some of the other podcasts. I'll do it for you. If there were ever two guys, ever any two guys, for a litany of reasons, that you would say, those two guys are entitled. Those two guys are entitled to pass on whatever bowl game they're playing against Kansas State. You would say, these two guys have done nothing but play for national championships. They've done nothing but be great for their programs. They're going to be the numbers one and three or one and four or two and three. I mean, they have every single reason in the world. They are poster children for opting out. If I, if I called either one of them and showed them the highlight that is vivid in my mind of Melvin Bratton, the former fullback of the Miami Hurricanes in the Orange Bowl, blowing out his knee, literally ending his NFL career right there in his final college. If I played that highlight for either one of them, it would freak them out. Those two guys are saying, no, no, the NFL draft will wait. We want to play one last time, even though the game's not in the national playoffs. We want to play one last time with our teammates, and we're going to do it by golly, even though we're the one and three pick, and we have everything to lose in this game for injury. How about that? I love it for them. I love it for Nick Saban. Listen, we can't protect you from injury. Unfortunately, the game creates those. But David Ojabo, the pass rusher from Michigan, hurt himself getting ready for the combine last year. Injuries happen. It's just part of life. Is your risk go up? That's why I say let's get some insurance. Yeah. So you're protected a little bit. Yeah. But those guys understand. And Nick Saban, you know, say what you will about him and his overbearing process and all this stuff. There's a love of the game. There's a love of team. There's a love of teammate. Let's go do this one more time together. I could never in a million years, they would have had to tie me down not to get out of that locker room to play. I swear to you, I'm so passionate about it. And I just feel horrible for these kids, even though I understand it. I, I feel horrible that they're missing this opportunity to be with their guys. All right, let me throw some quick hitters at you because I, I wanted to mention a few things to you. People want to hear your thoughts before this grand week of college football continues on in the bowl season. Number one, Texas and Washington. Texas will be without running backs and players, just as we've right. just spoken. 
Washington's going to be at absolutely full strength, and they've got guys saying, we're coming back next year. They are feeling themselves, and yet I look up and I see Texas at 8-4, and four, still a favorite over Washington. What am I missing? I got to believe Washington. First of all, I think this game is going to be the best game of all the games. I'm biased. I think right. this one's going to be a shootout like that Baylor-Washington game years ago with uh, RG3 in one of the bowl games. Maybe it was this bowl game. Um, it was. What am I missing? Washington and Texas. I'm with you. I, I think Washington should be at least a three to four point favorite. I understand Quinn Ewers is, you know, a tremendous talent and maybe Steve Sarkeesian's motivation playing against his old team yeah. is, you know, the reason we're seeing this number, but uh, Quinn Ewers isn't Michael Penix right now. He may be, he might go past him, but he's not now. And Michael Penix and an entire team that didn't go to a bowl game last year under a new coach who just got an extension and everybody all hands on deck. I love the dogs in this game. How are the Texas Longhorns fans feeling about Sark right now? Only eight and four, only the Alamo Bowl. He's got Arch Manning, though, coming. He's doing a good yeah. job from what I can tell on the recruit. I don't follow it, but it looks like they get a lot of great players to come to Texas to play. Is he, would you say, overall liked in Austin, well, Texas, or not so much? I think there was enough improvement this year that uh, they would say he's on schedule. They're, he's on schedule. They want more and they'll demand more by next year. They were finished number three in the, in the recruiting rankings, but that's an incomplete deal because recruiting right now is really yeah. the consolidation of a class from a portal and high school. That being said, I think they believe that they're on the right path. I think they'll expect 10 wins next year. And if Sark falls short of that, then they'll be on the other side of that deal. But right now he's on schedule. It's a, it's a big time game and an opportunity for him to prove that we're headed in the right direction. Is it important for Washington to win the game? What's the importance of the result for a team that's come out of nowhere? The guy's done a great job. Everybody's feeling great. They went 10-2. and two. What's the difference whether they win or lose the game against Texas? It isn't as big for them as Texas, which might be another reason why we're seeing Texas as a favorite. But I can tell you, the exclamation point on a season demands a bowl victory, demands it because it's a momentum deal, especially when you have a team that is coming back full strength. I think you're right about this, the excitement around this one. This one demands focus. And I think uh, for Washington, the exclamation points there to be that. Between now and the time that you and I speak next, we'll have the semifinals. I'm looking at the numbers right now. Michigan's a seven and a half point favorite over TCU. Georgia is a six-and-a-half-point favorite over Ohio State. Which of the two underdogs, about the same spread, so which of the two underdogs in your mind has the better chance of pulling the upset outright? It's a great question. I'm going to go with TCU. I, I think TCU showed in that game against Texas where they went to Austin and won the game 17-10, and, and, and the Longhorns' only touchdown was a fumble recovery, scoop and score type of thing. I think they showed they're defensively capable to just handle the trenches and a battering ram type of salt from the Michigan offense. Michigan's offense still doesn't have quorum. All right. He's not available. So the fact that they can hang in there and then offensively, they're good enough to running the ball. They've got a, their own thousand yard back and a run and a quarterback who in that 
Big 12 championship game basically put them on their back and ran himself. He had 95 yards rushing on the game's final drive in regulation. With that being said, that will require everybody in the box, which creates one-on-one opportunities for guys like Quentin Johnston. And Quentin Johnston is a Randy Moss body type. And that one-on-one opportunity to me gives the Frogs a chance to, to spring an upset. So you say TCU has a better chance of beating Michigan than Ohio State has of beating Georgia, which is interesting because I would say for all of us college football fans to have any chance of a competitive national championship game. Right. I think we need Michigan to play Georgia. I don't disagree with anything that you said, but I feel right. like TCU can't play with Georgia. As great as the quarterback is, I, I just feel like TCU can't play with Georgia. Am I wrong about that? I think the matchup for TCU against Georgia would have been much tougher, which is why I thought TCU should have been playing Georgia and Michigan and Ohio State should have been playing in the other semifinal. Okay, But because Georgia is so deep defensively, they're so deep. They're like, crashing waves on the beach. They're just relentless. I mean, their great defensive uh, tackle, nose guard tackle, Jalen Carter, right. will play probably 35 plays. Yes. They take him out because yes. they've got, you know, Nazir Stackhouse. They've got Tramel Walther. They got, there's so many guys. And that's the secret to the SEC's success. The gold bullion of college football are defensive line, defensive line men. And they've got bundles of them. So do, so you, that's think, why- do you think that TCU would ultimately give Georgia a better game than Michigan will give Georgia in the champ. I think Michigan will give them a better game. No, no, Michigan could give them a better game because Michigan can stay stout enough in the trenches, but we saw Michigan, Georgia last year. And the only difference is, is JJ McCarthy and McCarthy is a good player. He certainly got the swagger to be good, but I just don't see And they got Ronnie bell. They didn't have Ronnie bell, but I just don't see that holding up for 60 minutes. Okay. So I think George is the team that's going to cut down the nets uh, if we were talking basketball. But uh, I think the game's going to be the Michigan TCU game. So that brings us to the picks. And I got to tell you, you and I are going to speak a week from now, and there are going to be 20 some odd games that are played between now and you and I talking seven days from right now. Great games. Tennessee Clemson, Notre Dame, South Carolina, Alabama, Kansas State, Utah, Penn State. Of course, Michigan, TCU, and Georgia, Ohio State. I mean, you've got nothing but riches at your fingertips to choose from. Are we going with <laughs> Are we going with a Sunday? Are we going with a cherry? I mean, you can have your pick of the litter. There's all these great games that are going to be played in the next week. Listen, I love the Kansas State uh, story. I think it's uh, been terrific. Chris Kleiman has been awesome. This Will Howard who came off the bench and was terrific. Deuce Vaughn is outstanding as their running back. But Alabama, with those two kids opting in rather than opting out, is about to make a statement. And I'm taking Alabama. You don't think that this will be a letdown for all those guys that are so used to playing under the limelight, under the spotlight of the national championship? No. By virtue of their decision, they have made a solemn vow to one another. We're going out in the right way. I think we're going to watch them flex. Okay, so that's the pick. That's the pick. I don't know the spread, but you're you're laying whatever the lumber is. You're you're whatever the lumber. You're you're laying it with Alabama. We're laying it. I okay. I think it's going to be a. Uh, a triumphant victory for the Roll Tiders. And for our listeners that will be in Las Vegas or at some casino betting house for the national championship Saturday as it approaches, you're taking the points with TCU. It sounds like you're taking the points with TCU. Take the points with TCU. And, Seven and a half. And lay them, lay them with Georgia. 
I think Georgia, Ohio State could be close. You uh, do. But if, yeah, I would, I would lay the points with Georgia. I would lay them. So we're taking one underdog and we're taking one favorite, and you and I will be together again to talk all about it. You'll be in New York for the Sun Bowl, and by this time next week, we'll know who's playing for the National Championship of College Football. How about that? Too ha- good to be true. Happy holidays enjoy, to the en- new high Enjoy uh, Los Angeles, my yeah, friend. Geez. <laughs> Whether you go- want it or not. <laughs> I want to go home. Uh, and happy- by the way, yes. if you were asking who did some work for me today, yes. as Taco Time yes. is continuing to you know, celebrate people who do yes. some work, yes. Joe Neuheisel did some work today. Oh, tell me. Because it was Father-Son Championship Day here at Phoenix Country Club. Come on. He shoots on his own ball, 61. (gasps) Par, 71? Par, 71. Eight birdies, one eagle. Dad shoots 73 and can't even get a ball (laughs) on the, got to get a score on the card. You had we, we lapped the field. You had the wrong partner six, seven <laughs> years ago at Snoqualmie Ridge. We're finding out you had you. You say it's Joe all in Neuheisel the recruiting. Did some work you today. Taco time God. celebrates <laughs> Joe Neuheisel. Rick Neuheisel, uh, I'm very appreciative to all that you do for me. Happy holidays to the Neuheisels, and we'll talk just before the New Year's. Happy holidays. Take care. You know, there's nothing quite like the holiday season at Daniel's Broiler. And here's my friend, CEO Lindsey Schwartz. And if you can take your mind off of USC football for just a half second, can you tell us how everything's going? You bet, Mitch. I'll take my mind off it for a couple of minutes for you. <laughs> we love the holidays. You know we love the holidays. I, it feels like Daniels was just built for the holidays. I know you've celebrated Thanksgiving yep. at Daniels with the family. It just kind of kicks off on Thanksgiving and rolls all the way through to New Year's Eve. All four restaurants are going to be really busy. We already are pretty well booked up. You know, it's fun in the bars. It's fun in the dining rooms. It's fun in the private dining rooms. It's it's, uh, it's going to be a great month at all four restaurants. The Huskies are good. The Seahawks are good. Football is good. And the best bus boy at the Bellevue location, Max Levy, came home the other night and said, you're not going to believe this. They finally put TVs at Daniel's Bellevue. Now, how is it possible for 35 years I haven't been able to watch a football game in the bar area at Daniel's Bellevue? Is that possible? Is that true? I mean, as ridiculous as it, as it sounds to hear you say it, it's partially true. You've been able to watch in Prime 21, which is kind of the back bar there. It's always had a couple of TVs. There have not been TVs in the main bar until we just completed this remodel and put them in. And, and I know that sounds bizarre, but the reason is, as you know, we've got the piano there. We've got the great piano bar. We've got Jim Washburn, who's been with us over 30 years. He's the star of the show, and he's the reason people... Hold on. come to the bar Hold so we didn't want to have anything competing. Hold on a second. What nights does Jim Washburn sing and play at Daniel's Bellevue? So he used to, he actually, <laughs> back in the day, he used to be there five nights a week, three or four nights a week now. But yeah, back in the day, he, he was he was almost always there. But I know what you're going to say. Do he you never not, played on Mondays. Okay, do you, not, <laughs> do you not know that there actually is football on Mondays? You know what, Mitch? Better late than never is what I like to say. So uh, you got, now for the rest of your life, you can watch Monday Night Football at Daniels Bellevue. I, I want to know what the boss is ordering and what the boss's family is. In fact, I want to know how often you have dinner at one of the four lovely locations 
of Daniel's Broiler and what you're ordering these days? Well, I'm probably there once a week, not always for dinner, maybe yeah. sometimes for appetizer and, yeah. a, and a drink, you know, but I'm an eight ounce filet mignon guy. I have been for a long time. Piedmontese is, is one of the varieties that we do, and I like that one a lot. My wife loves the fresh salmon. My kids, who are teenagers now, still eat like they did when they were when they were little kids. They still get the uh, they love the popcorn shrimp. Oh, they love the steak strips. They'll get that for their entree. Why not the big boy for you? Why only eight ounces? Well, Mitch, I've been meaning to talk to you. You know, when guys get to be our age, may want to slow it down a little bit. But uh, but for the young people out there, yeah, I, I, I would go with the big boy. Ladies and gentlemen, Lindsay Schwartz, Daniel's Broiler, four tremendous locations have been a supporter of mine for years and years going back on the radio and now at the podcast daniel's broiler world-class steakhouses unfiltered back to his days of indiana here we go first play the second half he wants a deep shot again and he's got mcmillan jalen mcmillan goodbye touchdown are you kidding you know, you're always worried as a head coach about how the banquet's going to go, right? Well, I've learned if you just have your star quarterback, you know, make an announcement through a video at the end. It doesn't matter what else the, the banquet looks like. It could be a disaster. The food could be awful. Um, you know, you could fall off a stage or something. You never know. And uh, it, it, it was awesome. Well, Mitch Unfiltered has brought to you the Seahawks no table. We've done the, the Mariners no table. And now we make no table history. Christian Capel, UW insider for The Athletic. Danny O'Neill, alum and lover of all things Huskies. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, for the first ever of its kind, the Dogs No Table. And Danny, I think we should ignore what happened between Washington and Auburn on the hardwood on Wednesday night as we do this No Table. What do you think? I will forever remember this year as the year Washington did not have enough money to put down its basketball coach. (laughs) That's what this year is. We were too broke to fire him. (laughs) Do you you want him fired? You want the series? You want the yesterday? Yes. Oh, they lost to Paul Cal polyamorous. They lost to Cal Baptist. I didn't even know Cal Baptist was a school. But he's a Syracuse assistant. He's a former Syracuse legend. You can't say that to me on this podcast. Not a selling point, Mitch. And I think even you'll agree when you come out of that from that grumpy, <laughs> reticent, I hate zone. I hate zone defense. Uh-huh. Zone defense is for cowards. And he plays that crappy 2-3 matchup zone. I hate it. Uh, by the way, these two guys are reunited. I don't know how often. Is it a once a week? Is it a once every two weeks? Is it when you you feel like it, Christian? The say uh-huh. who, say <clears throat> pot. And, and where did that explain to a non-Husky guy like me? The, the origin of that title, that name of that show. It's been once a week since, uh, what, the summer? I think we sort of, after, after uh, you know, we'll do it every now and then when we feel like it type of off-season, yeah. which hopefully it'll be a little more regular this off-season. We kind of decided, okay, it's going to be weekly. You know, we're gonna, and there were a couple of weeks we did it, uh, I think two episodes after the Michigan State game maybe, and, and maybe another week. But the name comes from, there's a chant that the Huskies have done in the tunnel, in the locker room after wins. They've done it on the field a couple of times after big wins Yeah, in which they say, uh, say who, say what is the name of the chant. And then there's uh, an explicit finish to it. 
Mm. That's not in our name, but mm. uh, so we we just shorten it. We go go with say who say pod. You know, you could use the expl- you know unfiltered podcasts. You could do anything you want, Christian, if you wanted. Could, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's it's, true. But I, the problem the grand- is, I checked the clean box on Apple Podcasts, so you know, <laughs> it is the granddaddy of all curse words, as they say in Christmas. Oh, story. it's the one that's up there. Okay, like it's yeah, yeah, it's profane. Oh. It's profane. Mm-hmm. There's an M and an F. Oh. <laughs> An M and an F. So, guys, yeah. before we start with the new faces coming, let's speculate, Christian, if you would, on some decisions that are still pending, that are out there kind of hanging over the program as they get ready for the Alamo Bowl. The two wide receivers, the quarterbacks, the backup quarterbacks, and probably some other ones that I don't know of. Talk about your guests. Speculate for me a little bit about some of these guys staying or going, Christian Cable. Well, we don't have to speculate a great deal on the receivers because Ryan Grubb, who's the offensive coordinator, uh, is one of the more more forthright coaches in college football, probably. And flat out said he thinks both Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan are um, leaning toward coming back and that he essentially expects them expects them back at this point. So that could always change. There you go. He's the coach. I have dared not dream, Mitch. I have dared not dream about Romo Dunze coming back. You told me I felt that, that we, we got gravy. We had gravy with him returning this year when there was there was no reason for him not to transfer away from the University of Washington after that John Donovan awful offense last year. I think it's always been a possibility, but he's definitely the one that the least safe bet to come back. But, you know, you look at how this has all played out. Michael Penix Jr. is coming back. Tulila Tulinasano is coming back. ZTF and Braylon Trice both say that they're coming back. Troy Fautanu, their left tackle, announces that he's coming back. And he talked to us on Tuesday and he, he, I think his quote was that he didn't want to be left out that he didn't want to miss out on, on what was going to happen next year. And I think that's kind of the vibe around the program right now. So I think they've built all this momentum that, you know, Hey, you know, the, this guy's back and this guy's back. Let's, let's get the band back together and run it back one more time. And it kind of seems to be the direction things are going at quarterback. Obviously there are different considerations because those guys, you know, barring something happening to Michael Penix jr. Aren't going to be on the field. I know Kalen DeBoer said yesterday that he hasn't received any indication that that Sam Heward or Dylan Hor- Dylan Morris wouldn't be around next year. We did get to talk to Dylan Morris on Tuesday. Definitely did not strike me as a guy who's on his way out necessarily. You know, he's kind of said, "Hey, I'm I'm going to get through this Alamo Bowl and and then I'll, you know, really weigh my options, but I always wanted to play here. It's been a dream to play here. I'd like to finish my career here." And then he also said he wants to get into coaching too. And that they, that association with Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb and being around them and learning from them and kind of establishing relationships with that coaching tree matters too. So I think there's a world where they they do keep all those guys on the roster, although we'll, we, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. Those decisions can always change. Danny, how important is it those quarterback decisions now that They've kind of swung and missed on quarterbacks in this last recruiting class that we're going to talk about, or the recruiting class that's current. I know they're going to go to the transfer portal. Do you expect that one of those two guys will be the next starting quarterback when Michael Penix is 46 years old and ultimately leaves the University of Washington? Yeah. Yeah, I expect one of those two guys will stick around. It would surprise me if both did. I, I think the more likely of the two to stick around just based on playing time and trajectory would be would be Dylan Morris, right? There's no guarantee that he's going to get a starting job if he goes elsewhere. I don't know Sam Heward. I obviously know his family pretty well. If he looked at it and said, I'm going to I'm going to be my fourth year on campus before I start and says, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go try somewhere else. I, I don't think I'd blame him for that. Well, I'm not going to blame him regardless. 
I'm not worried about the quarterback pipeline, though, because you just had the biggest advertisement. Say you get into a situation where you don't have any quarterbacks that are on campus. It's an entirely different era of college football now. And for all of the different attempts that coaches make to get a quarterback as part of each class and all of that, what, what the, what's the worst case scenario? Washington goes into a season where they don't believe they have a starting quarterback and they say, hey, who wants to come be Michael Penix? Anybody interested in that? Would that would that be fun for you? Call me a, a, a relentless optimist as opposed to the passionate pessimist. Okay. But I just think they've got that position is the one I am least worried about at this program going forward. Christian, big week for college programs in the midst of the bowl season. On Wednesday, we had the early signing period beginning. By most accounts, Kalen DeBoer's staff did a solid job getting some badly needed standouts on the defensive side of the football. I'm assuming you're going to tell me that Caleb Presley, a defensive back from the Seattle area, flipping from Oregon to Washington is the headline story from Wednesday. And if it's not, what is? From Wednesday, it definitely was. Um, yeah, I think in recruiting nowadays, there's there's so much buzz around any flip, any decision, any commitment, you kind of know what direction it's going. And this was that, you know, I think everybody kind of knew by Wednesday that it was, it was going to be Washington for him. It's still a big deal that they were able to flip him. A lot of talk, obviously the last couple of years about them not keeping some of these really highly rated in-state guys home. And especially when one of them commits to Oregon and, and you end up getting him to, to stay home instead, you know, that that's a big deal. I think, the the thing that's interesting about Washington's class, they've got some blue chip guys, especially in the secondary. And then just a little while ago, they added another transfer from Oklahoma State um, who's going to play corner. They're going to have seven new defensive backs on their roster next year. So they definitely identified, you know, where they where they needed more bodies and where they needed to upgrade based on what they saw on the field this year. I think it's interesting that they got a number of their top targets who weren't necessarily really highly rated guys. Like Tybo Rogers, the running back they signed out of Bakersfield, that was their guy. That was the running back that they wanted from, from back in the winter. Jordan Whitney, who's a three-star linebacker from Oxnard, California, you know, he 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 had some okay offers. I think he was deciding between Washington and Arizona at the end. He's a really good track guy. He's really fast for a linebacker. He was one they zeroed in on. Like they really wanted him. So I think beyond, you know, beyond the ratings and the stars and stuff, which I think there, there is an expectation, it should be an expectation that they'll, they'll fare better that way next year with this 2024 class. I still think they did a pretty good job of yeah. identifying, okay, who are the players that we really want, who fits us, you know, what works for us and identifying those guys and, and going out and closing on them, you know, whether they had a ton of great other offers or not. Danny, how significant is the Presley story? Every time, there's a new coach at University of Washington or anywhere else for that matter. One of the very first questions that we ask is, is he going to be able to keep the great products, the local great product? Is he going to be able to build a fence or build wall, a fence. build a the wall, fence. build the wall the around Seattle? How big of a deal is it that this guy, I guess, from where Rainier Beach, Christian Rainier Beach High School is mm -hmm. going to is going to stay at uh, University of Washington as opposed to going down to Eugene? Exciting, but not as big a deal as Buda Baker. Buda flipped, right, after Washington changed from Sark to Chris Peterson. I don't think this is at that level, but it's it's significant. And it's a big deal. I'm excited. The idea of building a fence, I think, is an antiquated notion. And I think it sort of defies what we've seen from when Washington gets really good, that it's not entirely 
about homegrown kids. And I think you're always going to have kids that come from this state that end up going to other programs. And that's not a sign of recruiting failure. That when the linebacker from Eastside Catholic ends up going to Ohio State. Yeah. How are you going to say like, oh, you really you really missed out on that one? Guys go into a top rated program that's produced number one overall draft picks. I mean, that's if if he has I'm not going to sit there and say like, well, that's a real shortcoming. It's a coup if you can get a guy like that. I think we tend to be in Washington outdated in how we look at recruiting. Washington is not a good enough state in terms of talent that you could say if you get all the best players in Washington, you're, you're going to contend for a national championship. That's just not the talent base. Like you need to recruit from from California. You also increasingly are able to recruit in other places because geography matters less now than it did. Like it, it just does. Kids, you see more of their tape because it's on the Internet. You are able to they're exposed to more of your program because your games are on television to look at this through the window of 1990s recruiting is silly in my opinion. So I think and continue to believe the biggest difference that a program makes is how they develop their three and lower four star tier recruits over the course of their three and four years. I don't think a program is defined by their ability to get the outliers who might be there three or four years. I think it's, I think a program success is defined by how many of those guys who are solid PAC 12 recruits, but considered rank and file players. How many of those guys are potential all conference players by the end of their time with the program? Christian, real quickly, this wide receiver from California that verbally committed but said he wants to wait before he signs to make sure he's doing the right thing. Is that guy, you think, coming to Washington? And how important is that player? I think so. Tayshawn Lyons from uh, from Hayward, California. I think he is. I've not heard anything to indicate that like the reason he didn't sign is because of any sort of wavering. Did catch my eye when he, he made that comment after he committed that he wanted to wait until February. I don't know if Washington's coaches are expecting him to wait all the way until February, until the, the regular signing period, or right. if they're going to try to get him on board the, the next couple days uh, here, the next day or two, I know DeBoer made reference to, you know, adding another player or two here in the coming weeks. I assume that was lions. It could have also been this Oklahoma state cornerback that, that just committed. So I think the plan is still for Tayshawn lions to be part of their recruiting class. And I haven't heard anything to make me think that he won't be. Do you think we're a year away? We're talking about four-star guys. At what point does Kalen DeBoer have enough cred to go after five-star guys, to go after the top 20 guys, top 30 guys in the country, Christian? I would think that Penix's return helps that from the standpoint that they kind of came out of nowhere this year and were 10-2 and and exciting and, and on people's radar in the middle to the end of the season. Now he starts the year on the team next year. I would imagine you tell me they're going to be a preseason top 10, top 12, top 15 team. So they begin the year in the national spotlight. And if they can have another 10 and 2, 11 and 1 type of season, now maybe you turn the heads of some of these top 30 recruits. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone was looking to this year and the quiet belief, I think, even internally there at Washington was that the 2024 class could be really special. If you have the kind of season here in 2022 that, that they were hoping for and that they ultimately did have and that you show this is what the offense is. This is how explosive it can be. This is how many points they can score. This is what the opportunities are going to be, especially for 
some of those skill players and, and at the quarterback position, you know, as for whether they can start going after five stars, there's really never been a time where Washington could could reliably go after five stars and feel like it should be a player other than locally. Right. Sam Heward was a five star recruit, but he was Sam Heward. And in his same class, there were a couple of the local five stars who who chose to go to Ohio State instead, and both are playing very, very well there. Right. Is it ever going to be that kind of program where you can just expect them to be in the running and maybe sign one or two or three five stars? I don't know. Um, and in the NIL era, it, it's, I think, even more unclear, you know, how how available are the funds for uh, the 17-year-olds as as opposed to those who are on the roster or maybe those who are coming in the transfer portal. So, you know, that that seems to be as much a consideration as anything else when you get to that level. And those guys know that they can command that kind of money from a lot of these programs. They're definitely going to be on the radar of some of those top 150, 200, 250 type recruits. But uh, as far as getting into the upper, upper echelon, I, I still think that's going to be a, a unique kind of case by case basis on, you know, whether they're going to be in the running for those type of guys. What's the status of Herb Mead? Is he still above the earth, even if it's a weekend at Bernie's kind of situation? Like when Washington was winning national championships, we were cheating our ass off. Now we can do it. Let's get out the fruit baskets. Let's let's talk to the rocket scientist in Idaho who was giving Billy Joe a $50,000 loan so he could buy a kick-ass car stereo system. Like this should be our time to shine. Come on. It's legal now. We can cheat. The rocket scientist story is the best one because, like, that guy didn't even, he wasn't even a fan, was he? No. Well, I, somebody he was related to, it might have been his son or his nephew, was friends with Billy Joe. And he was like, hey, there's this guy that's an awesome quarterback. And it, it'd be cool. He's going to make a bunch of money in the pros. So could you loan him $50,000? And, and he loaned him $50,000. And then there's this trail of where basically the rocket scientist is like, this guy spent this money in very silly fashion. <laughs> like, of course, he's Billy Joe from Puyallup. Did you think he was going to put it in T-bills? Uh, he's going to buy a Camaro. That's what he's going to do. That's what he did. I'm, I'm only partly joking. I've always said I'll take two years of probation for a Rose Bowl. Just flat out. I don't have any qualms. I think I think cheating is against the rules with the NCAA, but I don't think it's wrong. Yeah. And it's like only vaguely against the rules. <laughs> I know. Now. And it's un, it's unclear. It, like, Are they rules if they're not being enforced? You can write them down and say, here's here's how you're supposed to act. But if you're not going to do anything uh, when people break them, it, can you break them? Is it even possible Do those count as rules? Like all these guys who are transferring for a second and third time when it's a one time transfer exception. And I'm not even against that, but like they're just all going to be eligible. And it's like, well, that's not really what the rules say, but OK. The NCAA doesn't want to turn anyone down right now because they don't want to get sued because they're pretty sure that they'll lose in court. So it's just created this situation where they let him through the pearl clutching from college football coaches is my favorite thing. I think the most recent one was Mac Brown where he's coming out. He's like, somebody offered him four to $5 million. I'm like, good for him, man. Like, it sounds like, sounds like you guys better get your act together and be able to pay some money. How many of these coaches sit there and lord their power over players of like, well, you just got to play better. And then it gets to this point where the player has the power to decide. And they're like, this isn't fair. It's not right. I can't believe this is happening. It's like, it's no fun when the rabbit gets the gun. You talked about the transfers, by the way, Christian. How about a little bit more about those? I see an edge rusher from... South Dakota, I see a running back and edge rusher from Arizona State, a linebacker from USC, a wide receiver from Michigan State who they nearly had out of high school, and a tight end from Cal Poly. Which of these uh, of these guys that I read about in The Athletic and your pieces are going to make the, the biggest splash, would you say, next year? 
Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got my eye on Daniel Nagata, the running back from Arizona State. They recruited him a little bit out of Folsom High School, and his his older brother Ariel was a linebacker at Washington for a time, uh, and has another another brother Joe, who's a receiver at Clemson. He was the number two back at Arizona State behind Zazavian Valade this year, who was a great workhorse running back, and then uh, Chip Tranum last year, uh, who transferred to Ohio State, another really good running back. Um, so he's kind of been in that auxiliary role, but he's, a, he's a, an all-purpose guy. He can return kicks. He can catch passes. I think he gives them some speed and some, some burst and some shiftiness that they maybe don't have in the running back room. Other running backs were decently productive this year, but you didn't see a lot of guys out in space making guys miss, right? Putting moves on guys, winning one-on-one and, you know, out on the edges, those type of things. So I think he's a guy who maybe has a little bit more of that skill set. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, get on the field. I don't know that he's somebody you're going to, you're going to give the ball to 20 times a game, but they don't need him to be because they do have some depth and they've, they've got some other guys who can, who can carry it. Um, Jeremy Bernard, I think was a big deal for them to get back. He was one you saw him go in the portal and it was pretty easy to think, Hmm, hmm I wonder where he's going to end up, you know? So I think, yeah, that's why you don't, uh, you don't badmouth guys on their way out, right? You, you keep those relationships positive because you never know now. when it can circle back. So, especially now, uh, you know, if they return everybody at receiver, snaps are, are going to be, you know, few and far between, but uh, he, he's talented enough to get out there. And then, yeah, Zach Durfee and Joe Moore, two edge rushers they're adding. Um, it's interesting with them bringing ZTF and Trice back. You figure those are your starters, but they, they like to go four deep there and rotate a bunch. Uh, Raylan Goforth should compete at linebacker. You know, that's kind of been, they've had some depth issues at that position for a number of years now. And um, that's a veteran who's played a bunch and obviously has, has been at USC. He had the big hit on Cam Rising in the Pac-12 championship game. So I think they checked basically every box for if you looked at the the, the positions that were going to be priorities where they could have used some experience. They've added just about you know, everybody that they've needed to so far. I want to go back to Michael Penix, Danny. The overwhelming success this past year that leads to the Alamo Bowl. He's coming back. He's going to start as one of the Heisman contenders, although the Heisman winner is coming back too from the same conference. How much about Penix and the success that he had do you think is about Penix? And how much of it is about a terrific system that gets guys in the pass game running in spaces? The reason I ask is, are quarterbacks just going to thrive? no matter what their names are and what their lineage is when they come to the University of Washington? Or is this a Michael Penix, Kalen DeBoer thing? Quarterbacks are going to thrive in this offense. I think you can trace a pretty straight line through most every stop Kalen DeBoer has had where you've seen improvement, drastic improvement in their offense. I love Jay Kaner. I, I really do. There was not for a second when he transferred that I thought like, oh, I think that's going to bite them in the butt or they're going to be worse off for that. And watching what he did, knowing the kind of player he was in that offense was really impressive. You're never going to have a quarterback who thrives as quickly as Michael Penix did in this offense. Michael Penix has an incredibly strong arm, a much stronger arm than I ever knew. I understood or gave him credit for. And he's got a decisiveness about the way he executes this offense. You're never going to see someone hit the ground running like this again, in large part because he had history with that offense. He knew what he was doing. So, yeah, 
I think quarterbacks are going to love playing for Kalen DeBoer. Seeing this as that's the baseline of what to expect, no, this was a best-case scenario. Christian, I'm still shocked, and I'm just a guy who watches from afar, pulls for the University of Washington, my kid goes there, but I'm still a bit stunned that Penix came back. I started seeing him kind of creep into mock drafts, first rounds. I've compared him on our podcast to Nate Robinson back in the day when he decided after his junior year or his junior eligible year, what else can I do? I'm not going to grow. Whatever I am for the NBA now, that's what I'm going to be a year from now. I might as well do it now. Michael Penix, I can't imagine is going to have a better year next year than he had this year. I can't imagine he's going to be able to do anything really for himself that he hasn't already done. And of course, you bring in the injury situation. He's been an injury-plagued player over his four years. Is it an NIL deal? Is anything, anybody shine the light? Anybody whispering what happened there to have him come back when he did? Yeah, I I wrote multiple times this year that there was no reason to expect him to be back in 2023. It is to the point where I almost kind of like chuckled to myself when people asked, well, he's got a year of eligibility left, right? He could come back. I just thought, well, why would he come back? All the reasons you listed. Right. I think anymore, it's safe to assume that that NIL is a factor in, in any of those decisions. But I was talking to him the other day and, and he he was insistent that, look, it, it's that's really not the primary factor. He said, look, he said, I don't need money like that. Essentially, I'm a grown man. I, I I take care of my business. And the money piece was was not as important to him. Now, does that mean that there's no NIL deal on the table? I wouldn't I wouldn't connect those dots. But what he has said is that he felt strongly that a, a second consecutive full healthy season in this offense, and I'm sure he's very confident that he can put up similar numbers next year, especially if if Romo Dunze and Jalen McMillan both do end up coming back. He felt like he would really benefit from another year. From two consecutive healthy years, there's that much more space between entering the draft and when he was last injured. Oh, there's still going to be questions about it. The medical evaluations on him are always going to be important, no matter when he goes into the draft, just because of his injury history. But I think he he, he felt strongly, I know he felt strongly that you know, one more year and, you know, 26, 27 games of tape instead of 13 this year would make a big difference for him. Mm. So I don't know what feedback he got from the college advisory committee or what round they told him he could be expected to be picked in or anything like that. But he seems to think that his, his pro prospects will be much better after another season. And Danny, I know you want to jump in here. The other part to this that was surprising to me was the timing. It happened so quickly. We found out right away, coming back on Instagram. I think that it's pretty clear where the pecking order of quarterbacks is. There was not going to be anything that came out about Michael Penix, given the volume of history he had, that was going to vault him into the top half of the first round. I, I think the question was, was he going to be a third round pick or a late first round pick? Kind of that, that sort of range of, I could see a scenario where he went late in the first day. I, I would have thought he probably goes in the second or the third round, and it's not out of the question that he goes later. I think that his pro prospects, primarily because of the fairly extensive playing experience he has, like you knew what the warts were. You knew that there was an injury question, and and they've seen him play. They've seen him play in a lot of different situations. So I wasn't surprised at the speed of it. I do think NIL changes sort of the the calculus. And I don't think it's strictly in how can I make the most money? Like, I don't think it's like, well, if I play one more year of college, I actually might end up making more than I otherwise would if I went and, and, and got drafted. I think it's different in that Nate Robinson's a good example. 
when you're pitching Nate Robinson on coming back to the University of Washington, pretty much all you had to pitch him on was it's around all these guys you've played with and you've got a chance to do something special as a team, right? Like you can't sell him on you're going to become a top five draft pick because he's always going to be five, seven and say he's five, nine. Like you couldn't, there, there was no, now it is a little different. It's not, you're just going to stay on scholarship. Like It sounds like a pretty sweet deal to be Michael Penix and to come back and have a Heisman ca- campaign built around for, uh, around you, have a team that you're seeing guys choose to come back to because they think they've got a chance to do something special. And to say like, okay, I'm not sure how much I'll gain in draft stock, but definitely like a, a second straight injury for a year would help me. But how much am I actually going to lose? Am I going to be a worse draft prospect a year from now? And the answer is no. Like you're not going to be worse off. What was the name of the 35 year old guy that went in the draft? Brandon Whedon wasn't that the year Russell yep. Wilson was drafted? Like Chris he played. Wakey. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Like you've had guys like yeah. your actual like being too old at quarterback is not like they're going to be like oh we don't want to mess with that guy. That's more of a reality at other positions. So I don't see much of a downside for him with this decision. It's not like Jake Locker. I don't see it as Jake Locker. Every college season he had before this one ended in disappointment. Indiana was way better in 2019 than they'd been in a long time. And he was, he was a big reason for that playing quarterback for Kalen DeBoer, but he only got to play six games. He had a season ending injury. 2020 was really fun for him. You know, as fun as playing in empty stadiums can be, I suppose he had the big game against Penn state, Ohio state. I think they went six and two. They finished ranked higher than they'd been in years and years, but he tore his ACL. He didn't get to be around for the end of it. This is going to be the first bowl game he's ever played in this Alamo bowl. And he, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this season was just, was a dream for, for any quarterback, but especially for one who literally had not been able to finish a college season. Now he comes to Washington. He instantly gels with all of his teammates. He's the catalyst for this huge turnaround under a first year coach who he goes back a few years with. And he, he probably, you know, just kind of looks around and it's like we talked about it at the start. It's a program people want to come back to. And I, I think guys don't want to miss out on what next year could be, or at least what they believe it could be. Okay, last question for you guys. I'll give each of you a shot at it. Quick answers. The Alamo Bowl is coming. Coach Sark is coming. Obviously, for Danny O'Neill and, and everybody else who's a Husky fan, there's a rah-rah element to wanting to win the Alamo Bowl and beat a Texas program. But in your estimation, is it important? Christian, let's start with you. Is the result of the Alamo Bowl, win or lose, all that important to the momentum of the Washington program, do you think? I think it's important because of how much, I know Kalen DeBoer has talked about, like what a big deal winning 11 games would be, that there's only ever been four teams in Washington history who have won 11. And obviously the schedule's longer, they play more games now, it doesn't mean what it did in 1984 and all those sort of things, but it still would be a big deal. The fact that they do have... You look all around the country and and there are NFL draft picks who have every reason to opt out of some mid-tier bowl game that doesn't mean anything. Washington's not going to have any of those. They've got all their guys. They've got everybody. They should be as healthy as they've been in a long time with getting a month off. And they're playing a Texas team that is going to be without B. John Robinson. It's going to be without Roshan Johnson and is going to be a little shorthanded. So with that said, Texas still is loaded with blue chip talent. They've recruited at a really high level. They've got really good skill players. So I think the challenge that it's going to be just dealing with their talent, especially from a, you know, a perspective of Texas's offense against Washington's defense, I, I think it, w- it would still send a message, at least to themselves, that 
you know, Hey, it doesn't matter. You went to Texas, they're, they're playing in their home state. I'm sure it's going to be a, an overwhelmingly burnt orange crowd there at the Alamo dome. If they could go into that environment, beat a talented team, get out of there with a win. Uh, I, I think it would mean a lot. Hear my dog start to chime in when you were talking up <laughs> Texas burnt orange he got fired up. That's right. Simba. That's right. Say who say dogs. It's important for Washington's defense. It's important for Washington's defense to look respectable. In my mind, there are some deeper questions that I still have about the defense that they're running. Certainly the personnel was short. And I'm not going to sit here and say like, hey, one year in, I, I don't think they have the right guys in charge of the defense because they inherited a program that they did not have depth in the secondary. And that became extremely obvious and very, very clear. But you want to see some improvement. And I don't felt like there was. I, I really didn't think there was improvement over the course of the year. And they should have had some time to be healthy. They should be healthier than they've been. Like all of those. And they did have some injuries that stacked up in the secondary where they were already shorthanded. If they go out and look like they've looked in, in some of these games, like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to have some questions of, OK, how's it going to get better? Because, yes, you're bringing all these guys back. And to like Asanoa coming back is a big deal. But that's not a good defense that's returning. They need to get better. And if they don't look any better in this game, I'm going to wonder where that improvement exactly is going to come from. Ladies and gentlemen, the first ever Huskies roundtable on Mitch Unfiltered. How about that? Christian Capel, read them as I do in The Athletic. Danny O'Neill, the dang apostrophe, Mitch Unfiltered, everywhere. And of course, the Say Who, Say Pod. Now they've... They've gone out and they have guaranteed us a once a week delivery. Christian, are you making the guarantee once a week delivery for the rest of the time now? For the rest of all time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> uh, they are Christian Capel and Danny O'Neill. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Mitch. Christian, you're really kind to, uh, to fit us in before the Alamo Bowl trip. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'll be damned. Look, look who it. All right. That was corny. That was corny. Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza, is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. What's the latest over there, Dan? How's Zeke's doing? That was very corny. That's even cornier <laughs> than the nicknames. It's funny, though. Uh, uh, what's new over here? You know, it's it's fall time and lots of football, uh, lots of pizza, lots of beer. We're transitioning here to a new beer lineup. Fall has its own rhythms, uh, moves a little bit more towards delivering takeout and away from dine-in a little bit. But people are coming in to watch football in our bars and stuff. And so we're like probably most of the listeners here is we're, yeah. we're rooting, for, rooting for the Hawks and enjoying that. I'll tell you what, anybody who's listened to Unfiltered knows that you guys are growing like a weed. Spokane is humming along. A visitor, too, from a certain Gonzaga basketball coach. Boise, Idaho is on the way. That'll represent the first restaurant outside of Washington State. And I was wondering, going back to the beginning, was that always the idea, the wide, wide footprint going outside of the state of Washington, Dan? Yeah, Mark Few asked for you while he was over there. I told him you'd be right over. I did. It wasn't necessarily when it started. Uh, Doug and Tom, our founders, it was more basic than that. They really wanted to kind of live the ultimate Northwest lifestyle. And to them, that meant powder skiing and windsurfing. And <laughs> they had lame jobs in Anderson Consulting that really didn't allow them to do a lot of that. So they, you know, they founded Zeke's to have kind of the independence and be able to build the life they want. And, you know, we continue to do that through our franchising. That's a cool thread from our origin. But pretty soon after we started, 
it became clear that we were definitely the pizza place that had kind of Northwest values at its roots. And it became clear that we could become the Northwest pizza place. And, you know, one foot in front of the other, all these years, we're on the verge of actually doing that. You mentioned that we're uh, getting ready to open Boise. That's on track for February. And, you know, we're working on Portland and it looks like that has a good chance of happening. And so between those two things, we actually will be the real Northwest pizza place. It'll be great. Incredible. Feels like winter's really snuck up on us. Zeke's has always had the best local beer selection. We've talked about that. And you've always said that there are certain brews that go well with this time of year. What are those? Yeah, you know, winter beers, they heavy is the wrong term, but they're a little bit more high octane and drink one or two or so. We just got a new batch of Zeke and Destroy that hit uh, restaurants a couple days ago. And, and Zeke and Destroy is one of our flagships. It's one of the ones that you can only get at Zeke's. We talk about all the beers that you can only get at Zeke's and that's one of the most popular ones for sure. So we just got a new batch of kegs in for that. It's in most of the restaurants and like I say, it's high octane. It's a double IPA. It's almost 9%. So proceed with caution, but they're really tasty and they, they go really well in winter. So, Oh, Zeke's pizza, download the app. Great partners of Mitch unfiltered homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Mahomes quick dart to McKinnon. McKinnon trying to twist his way. Leaning for the touchdown. On third down and goal. Stepping up, looking, Mahomes chase, diving for the pylon. Patrick Mahomes, is it a touchdown? No signal, yes, touchdown, Kansas City. This was a tough game for us uh, in the first half. We just couldn't get going and uh, couldn't make first down and got nothing going at all and, and just had to just wait it out. And once we found our rhythm in the second half, you could see us play. We, we play with these guys. Taco Time Northwest presents the Seahawks no table, or is it the Seahawks not able? Joe Fan, win bet in Las Vegas, Brady Henderson in Kansas City, Taco Time Northwest, tacotimenw.com, still looking to add to the work team that has been serving the Northwest for 60 years. 24 to 10. Brady, how cold was it? It was quite cold and even colder than the, the temperature said. I was gotten in an Uber after the game and I uh, asked some of the fellow beat writers that were with me what we all guessed the temperature to be. And we all said it was like two, three, four, five degrees and it was 14. So uh, it was cold. It felt colder. Pete Carroll said it didn't affect the, the game, but I'm sure it was made them uncomfortable, if nothing else. Did you keep your shirt on the whole time in the press box? Or you take it off. I yeah, I uh, I kept my shirt on Very along good. with the other four or five layers that I had on. Very so good. That's, dis- that's disappointing. <laughs> Nobody needs to see that. Not right now. Not ever. Uh, Joe, I'd say a little more defense than maybe we anticipated and a lot less offense. Uh, as the precipitous slide of the Seahawks continues. Yeah, I think, you know, it's easy to say, oh, it was cold. You know, that's why it was lower scoring. Um, the The total was still upper 40s in this game, you know, and, and Vegas is pretty keen to, to moving lines when uh, weather is involved. And you've seen that across the board in the NFL this week with some record low totals in the low 30s. So, there were still points expected in this game and the Seahawks defense was, was mostly admirable predict, particularly on third down three of 11, uh, the Seahawks offense, particularly the passing game was dreadful and shockingly. So even without Tyler Lockett, in my opinion, you know, there was no rhythm at all from 
from Geno Smith. There was no rhythm at all from Shane Waldron. The, the play calling, at least the the goals, like the, you know, it was hard to figure out what the intention was with a lot of what was called. And it is interesting that it, it feels like that's sort of been a regular thing these last couple of weeks, uh, at least in terms of what the play calling has been. And you heard again, Geno Smith saying post game, well, we, we were able to move the ball a bit better going up tempo in the second half. And it sort of feels like Groundhog Day. Like we've we've had this conversation each and every week of they kind of prod along and then it and then they go up tempo and it, it sort of works. So it also feels like we had that conversation on the Russell Wilson years an awful lot. So, yeah, I don't know if that's just sort of an easy scapegoat, of, you know, using the, 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 the big T word tempo. But, yeah, it wasn't pretty from the offense at all. So, Brady. Where does the blame lie for the offensive failure in Kansas City? Joe touched on a number of things. Play calling, quarterback, the offensive line again struggles, except for in the second half. They they got the running game going a little bit, but for the most part, they couldn't protect Geno. Now he was in third and long and second and long all day. Wide receivers not getting open. Where are we pointing fingers? I think it's all those things. And when you look at the fact that they went, uh, what, two of 11 on third down, I mean, that's where they missed Tyler Lockett in this game. And just if you look at big picture, this was not a game the Seahawks had a chance in. I'm just going to say it. If we had a show on Thursday, we would have all said the same thing. Not No Tyler Lockett, no Ryan Neal against the best tight end in the NFL. You factor in the weather and the fact that there's – even at full strength, there would be a big talent gap in this game. I don't, you know, the the Seahawks, the October version of the Seahawks uh, would not have stood a chance in this game. I don't think the version that was six and three before losing five of the last six. So they're, they're just overmatched in this game. And, and it's simple as that. And when, when you start losing guys like Tyler Lockett, then it's, you can forget about it. And so in terms of the offense, Lockett's absence was huge. They were getting no push in the run game in the first half. Now, they got things going and they showed some signs of life in the second half. And and Ken Walker said that the difference was that he was being more decisive and he was pretty upfront about that saying that, you know, he was maybe trying to uh, make too many things happen in the first half. And I, I think that that's going to be maybe an ongoing battle for him. A guy who was so able to break off those long runs. A lot of those come via cutbacks. There's going to be that constant battle for him for, Hit, you know, knowing when to hit the hole and knowing when to cut it back. Some of the big runs that he had in the second half were actually via cutbacks. And so I don't know if it was so much the offensive line was getting a lot better push or it was just they stuck with it and they were eventually going to break some of them. But I think Ken Walker was running a little bit better by and large, even with, you know, some rushing success for the first time in a few weeks. I think this game really illustrated how badly they need to upgrade the interior of their offensive line. Really? They, they look like they're set for the next few years at tackle, you know, the entire offensive line was playing pretty well early in the season, but the shine has really lost. It's really left the interior and they definitely need a new center. I think they need at least one new guard. There's a lot of work to be done there. Let's go back to the Shane Waldron play calling Joe. You mentioned it. I want to talk about it. It really feels for me that he was much more imaginative, much more creative earlier on in the season. Gino doesn't move. They don't move him by design very much. And I'll tell you what, everybody likes to talk about first down play calling and everybody likes to talk about third down play calling. I happen to be weird enough to think the most underrated whole thing about series is the second down. The second down very often decides whether you're going to be third and two or you're going to be third and eight and go back and look at that Kansas City game. Run a string of highlights of all his second down play calls. 
constantly on second and 12 and second and 10, run for two, run for negative one, run for negative. I think he ran the ball the first three or four second down plays, and he found himself in third and long, and you guys talked about it. You're not going to have a good third down percentage if you're third and 11 and third and 12 every single series. So I'd like to know what happened. Has he lost trust in his offensive line? Has he lost a little trust in Geno, the wide receiver? He's not calling the game the same way as he was calling it the first five, six weeks of the season. I think this is Pete Carroll putting his foot down and saying, run the ball. There have been some comments, um, you know, after games and on, and when we talked to Shane Waldron on Thursdays about how, you know, they need to do a better job of sticking to the run that that's them, their own self-assessment. And, you know, I think there was a comment from me either. I think it was Waldron talking about how they need to stick with it. Even when they're only getting, you know, those two, three yard gains that, that they need to stick with it. The whole idea of just wearing defenses down and setting things up. And eventually you're going to break one of those, but I'm not just talking about run versus pass, whether we run it or whether we pass it. I'm also talking about the passing game as a whole. You know, the quick throwouts, the bubble screens, the moving of the pocket, the play action and getting out on the exterior to give him a chance to run if he wants to. Or to, It just seems like everything has gotten very routine and conservative and very predictable. Joe, you can disagree with me if you don't if you don't see that. I, I, I certainly see it. It all does feel safe and vanilla. And I agree with you about how imperative success on second down is. The best offenses in football, when the Chiefs are really humming, they don't even see third down. It's first down, second down, first down, second down, first down, first down, first down, second. That's that's how it goes. You might have a touchdown drive where you only have to you know convert on third down once. So yeah, I agree with you, and I I think if Brady's sort of line of thinking is interesting because look back to what happened in twenty twenty. It was Russell Wilson's sort of midseason turnover stretch that that led to the the pulling back on the reins of the let Russ cook stuff and and Geno Smith his turnover worthy plays have been up of late and he has made some bad decisions and you've seen you know fumbles and yeah I think it's a good indication this whole thing that you know you can't be I think a lot a lot of us were sort of illusioned by that October stretch where they won four in a row of oh maybe they're closer than you thought. And they're not at all. And it's, you know, it's not just four draft picks in the top 80 to maybe get them back on that. It's the gap is large. It all of a sudden feels so much more of a full rebuild than it did a month or two ago. Yeah. And I think in this game, I think part of the reason you want to run the ball is not wanting to drop back 50 times a game and let Frank Clark and Chris Jones and Carl uh, Loftus, the, the rookie who looks like he's coming on of late. You know, I, I just, I think that they are probably losing some faith in their offensive lines ability to hold up. Uh, you know, and then you saw Abe Lucas leave this game and, and Stoneforth Scythe was in there playing right tackle. And so to me, this game, if we're, we, we can talk about the individual aspects of this game and the trends. And then I think the really big picture is, this was yet another reminder of how badly they need to beef up on both sides of the ball. I, I think they were maybe losing some faith in their offensive line's ability to hold up. Yeah. You know, they got one sack of Patrick Mahomes, only three quarterback hits. Uh, I think it was 19% pressure rate, his lowest, the lowest pressure rate that Mahomes has faced since the middle of the last season. 
And I think the second lowest the Seahawks have had on defense this year. So, I mean, they, they made, it wasn't like Mahomes was lighting them up with these crazy plays. He just had way more time to throw. And when he has that time and he can wait for Travis Kelsey to get open against a third string safety, I mean, forget about it. So I, I think to me, that was the story of this game is how much better Kansas city's offensive line played than Seattle's. And I'll give you one, one more thing about that. You make it doubly as difficult for your offensive line when you're letting the play clock expire all the way down to two, one and zero. The defense knows at that point, okay, next snap we're going there's no deceit. There's no sleight of hand. You can't try to draw anybody off sides when you're yelling out instructions and going up to the line of scrimmage with seven, six, five, four, three. We all thought, Joe, that that was done. We thought that the former quarterback was taking that part of the game to Denver and we weren't going to have to deal with that anymore. But as the weeks go on, I'm seeing Geno get into the same situation where he's barking to try to beat the play clock as opposed to Pat Mahomes, who's up there with 15 seconds, 16, 18 seconds. He can try to draw you off sides. He can snap it right then and there. It's just a whole different game. Yeah, I'm curious what Waltrip has to say about that, you know, in his next press conference when, when Brady's grilling him about it. I do think it's notable because it wasn't a thing early in the year. I mean, when this offense was humming, you know, and firing on all cylinders, the play clock wasn't an issue. And and there was such a rhythm to everything that happened and guys were schemed open and there were easy throws for Gino. And you can't blame that on the offensive line regressing. So I agree. There's something happening there where the communication has deteriorated, you know, the efficiency has regressed and and that is a, a big issue because that's that was one of the biggest parts of you know the, the Russell Wilson issues was always flirting with the play clock. And to see that back is is sort of a disappointing late season regression where this whole team seems like it's regressing across the board, which is tough. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. You talked about the offensive line, and I want to come back to Forsyth and Lucas and the injury in a second. You talked about how, and we've been talking about it for weeks here on Unfiltered how the offensive line, particularly the inside of the offensive line, is getting exposed week after week after week. I'll tell you something else that's getting exposed, and that's the general depth of the wide receiving core. Obviously, Tyler Lockett can't go. Then Marquise Goodwin gets hurt. We're seeing guys that have been signed off the streets days ago. We're seeing guys that have never caught a pass out there running routes. Uh, how's the D. Eskridge thing working out? How's that draft choice working out for you? I mean, I'd said before the season that I thought he was a bust. I mean, I, where is he? Is he hurt? Is he he's hurt? on? Uh, he's on IR Jeez, with a hand what, injury. What, uh, with a what? A hand injury. Okay, hand injury. Uh, how about during the off season? Is it not time to start wondering about the age of Tyler Lockett and to start adding to that wide receiver? We've been relying on the same kind of two wide receivers and then go out and get a journeyman third for like the la- third and fourth for the last unsuccessfully, many years. unsuccessfully, unsuccessfully for the last many years. Is it time to invest in that position? Oh yeah, th- there's no doubt. Yeah, and and look, they've got so many other needs that I don't know if you can spend. Li- I mean, you're not going to take one with the top five pick. I don't know if you're going to do it late in the first round either, but I would say sometime on the first two days of the draft. Yeah, that's a position they definitely should go after. You just, you just can't count on getting anything from D Eskridge at this point. And I know Joe's probably thinking this cause he's made this point before that th- this was the painful reminder of that pick, not only with D Eskridge not out there in a game that they really could have used him, but who, who did they pass up to take him? 
Creed Humphrey, who uh, is a stud center for Kansas City, who just made the Pro Bowl uh, after what was a very good rookie season as well. So, yeah, I mean, their their number two guy right now, really, he's been their third guy all year is Marquise Goodwin, who it's been a nice story. And he's given them, I think, more than you could reasonably expect from, you know, a 32 year old guy on a minimum minimum salary deal. But when you're relying on that as your third receiver in a, in a you know offense that likes to go with three receivers, then that's your sign that you need to you need to beef up that position. Let's go back to the offensive line, Brady. You talked about the injury to Lucas, which brought Forsyth in. I wondered as I was sitting there, just another game where the tackles, in particular, Lucas struggled while he was in the game, gave up some pass pressure. You keep talking about the interior of the offensive line. I kind of agree with you, but was Forsyth coming into that game, whether Lucas was hurt or not? Was it time for Lucas to take a break after the last several weeks? That might have been part of the thinking because it, there was an interesting, uh, you know, Pete Carroll said afterwards that it was his elbow that he sort of re-aggravated the, yeah. the elbow deal that he's been playing through. And he said that he could have finished the game if he had to, but they felt like it was uh, best to rest him. So but what was weird is that it was announced as a thigh injury. And I, I in my binoculars, I saw him with a big wrap around his thigh. So I, I don't know what to make of that. There may have been some wires crossed there. But um, yeah, I mean, look, we've talked about the idea of the rookie wall. And I, I, you know, when you're talking about the 15th game of the season, those guys are used to playing 10, 11, 12. Then yeah. I think that could be happening here. And so, Joe Fan, are you ready for this? I'm ready. They're still in it. <laughs> They're still very much alive for a wild card spot in the NFC. Considering the results of, of this weekend, you needed Washington to lose. Washington lost. You needed the Giants to lose. The Giants lost. You would have liked for the Eagles to lose to the Dallas Cowboys. The Eagles lost to the Dallas Cowboys. Win two more. Can they come home and somehow rally the troops, win two home games against the Jets and an undermanned Rams team, they might just get the help to sneak into the playoffs. You need the Seahawks team doctor to fly <laughs> to New York, get a disguise, and say, hey, Mike White, those ribs aren't ready yet. Oh, yeah. That you just can't I was wondering it. where he was going with that one. <laughs> because... Zach! We want Zach in Seattle. Correct. <laughs> we want Zach. There's not a chance Zach Wilson takes a snap against the Seahawks. There's just not a prayer. Who else is there? Joe Flacco? Joe Flacco and then uh, Streveler. Streveler? Uh, uh, no idea how to pronounce it. Never heard of him. We Never want Zach. I want Zach. Yeah, so you and every Seahawks fan <laughs> out there, and which is why they have to somehow find a way to ensure that Mike White's ribs are are no good. Maybe pull a Tanya Harding or something. I forgot about Detroit. Even Detroit went out yeah. and lost the game to Carolina. I didn't list that in Mr. Playoffs. Do we even want them to win the last two games and make it to the postseason? Or are we just at wit's end? We've seen enough. We need the season to end. We need to get to the draft. Enough. Every Seahawks fan should be investing so much more energy in hoping the Broncos lose. <laughs> Like that just to me is it's so much more important okay. of an outcome down the stretch. Okay. You look at what's happened since that win against the Cardinals on November 6th. They went to Germany and looked bad. They had a bye week. They played the Raiders and looked bad. <laughs> they played the Rams and looked terrible. They barely won. They they got embarrassed by the Panthers at home. They got embarrassed by the Niners at home. They got embarrassed by the Chiefs on the road. It's it has been a tough 
month and a half for the Seahawks as losers of five of six. I don't I mean, do you need to do see we, a playoff game? <laughs> Brady, do you want to cover a Seahawks road playoff game or do you want to start your golf season? What do you want? Man, send me to, Come to Vegas. Send me Book to Philadelphia on a Saturday. You know, it's going to be like 10 degrees there. Uh, uh, I'll, you'll be get stuck at SeaTac both ways, maybe. Uh, no, I mean, look, it's going to be right. It's going to be either Philadelphia, Minneapolis. If you figure the Seahawks are going to, if they make the playoffs, it'd be as a seven seed. So they play right. the two seed. So that could be Philadelphia, uh, San, San Francisco, Francisco, Dallas, yeah, or Minnesota. San right? Francisco or, wins the tiebreaker with the, the Vikings if they end up with the same record and they're one game currently behind the Vikings for that second spot. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, the Vikings might be the only team where they would stand <laughs> at, at some semblance of a chance there, but uh, I could see Justin Jefferson going for 200 yards right. in that game. Taco Time Northwest wants to hear it. Somebody must have been doing some work somewhere, somehow. I'm going to go first. I'm going to go first. Brady Henderson was doing some work. What'd you say the temperature was? 14 degrees. Was it toasty in the press box or was it still cold in the press box? It was fine. It's oh, it's 12 degrees right now. 12, 12. degrees for uh, Brady Henderson to brave it, to get to Kansas City, all for Mitch Unfiltered. Nothing for ESPN.com, all for Mitch Unfiltered. I got to say. of a way to spend your Christmas. I got to say that Brady Henderson on Christmas Eve was doing some work in Kansas. Whose crowd is better? Kansas City's or Seattle's, Brady? You know what? This, this did not feel like a full, fully packed stadium. I think under normal circumstances, when you talk about braving 12, 14 degree weather, people from the Midwest are just built different. This is an outdoor stadium. It is cold as hell. I mean, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one, but I will say I give props to all the, you know, however many people, however many thousands of people came to this game on Christmas Eve because it was cold. Did you have any barbecue while you were in Kansas City? Unfortunately, no. no. All the barbecue joints were closed. Uh, I got in late on uh, Friday night and then didn't get out of the press box in time to make it okay. to any barbecue joints. All I had right. a nice Italian dinner with my friends Bob Condota and Larry nice. Stone. Nice. Yes. Seattle Times legends. Uh, do you want to go second, Brady, as to who was doing some work or you want to get let Joe in here? What do you want to do? In the spirit of Christmas and in the spirit of you guys taking the uh, guys that I want to pick, I'll let Joe go first. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go with Chris Jones. Oh, God dang it! <laughs> Why are we... I thought we decided on the days, on the days that the Seahawks lose... We weren't going to throw bouquets at the opponent. You guys just throw bouquets at the opponents every week. You threw a bouquet at Brady. Yeah, it's not much better, is it? Yeah, no. okay. <laughs> Chris Jones, four quarterback hits, two tackles for loss, and a sack. He is an all-pro. He is dominant. He yeah. dominated this game, as yeah. he always does. Chris and, Jones was doing some work. And nobody saw that coming Correct. this week. Right. Brady Henderson, please. <laughs> Even Brady Henderson, when he let me go first. I should have seen that coming. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say DK Metcalf. You know, this was a tough game for him. Uh, he already gets double teamed quite a bit, as we know. And when there's no Tyler Lockett there, then he's getting double teamed a whole lot more. And I'm interested to look at the numbers because I bet it's going to be a season high in terms of, of the amount of double teams he faced. Still went for seven catches, 81 yards. I mean, in the first half, 
he was their offense. They they had I think he had like fifty of their eighty yards of offense in the first half or something like that. Don't quote me on that, but um, he was pretty much all they had. Made some tough catches. You know there was not a whole lot of easy grabs there. It was contested over the middle. Guy all over him. He's getting hit. I'm sure he wishes he had got his feet in bounds in the back of the end zone. That would have you know that's a four point swing right there. They obviously needed a lot more than that. Tough game for the Seahawks. Offense shorthanded. DK Metcalf had to do some work to give them, make them at least competitive, and he was doing some work in this game. All right, guys, I got bad news for you, Joe. What's that? Something you don't even know. I wrote down what I what I thought the final score was going to be. What does it say? No, you didn't. What does it say? It's twenty four. Says twenty four ten. Twenty four ten. I wrote it down. Now I just wrote it down ten seconds ago, but I wrote it down. Okay. And uh, I I I deserve the KP the hole that we didn't play uh, this week. Listen, guys, first of all, Brady, travel home safely. Get back to your family. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for being with us from ESPN.com. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Same to you. Merry Christmas. And Joe Fan, I hope you're home. Are you home in Seattle? Are you coming home to Seattle? Are you going to be with Becky and your dad or not? Stayed in Vegas. Didn't want to deal with the travel uh, issues. Uh, family came down for Thanksgiving, so it was good to see him then. FaceTimed him uh, on Saturday night. I'll FaceTime him on Christmas. Okay. Um, and it'll be it'll be good to see him, and I'll get back home to see him soon enough. Joe Fan, win bet. Thank you, Joe. Merry Christmas, fellas. Happy holidays. Appreciate you both. And uh, Brady, safe travels, sir. I appreciate it, buddy. Merry Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guess who's joining us? Well, typically, I would call him Jordan Flowers, J-Flow of the Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage, but that's no longer correct, right, Jordan? That's right. We've officially moved and are in our new office space here in Woodenville, Washington, downtown, right next to our great partners at Zeke's Pizza. You got to go there three times a week for lunch. Now, how am I going to get used to saying the Woodenville Office of cross-country mortgage. How many times am I going to make that mistake? And how many times am I going to hear from you? Mitch, you keep calling us the Kirkland office. I've got the over-under line at plus or minus 10, Mitch. (laughs) (laughs) All right, interest rates have been a a topic of conversation around the country, around the world, kind of like butterflies these days. What are you seeing? Yeah, we've made it through this year's highs. We've been seeing rates coming down over the last month and a half. Uh, We are sitting still at elevated levels, but they are down a solid half to three quarters percent interest getting back into the sixes. And with all of our buyers, we are working with them to get them into the three, four five percent range right now. Speak to us specifically. How do you guys do that at Cross Country Mortgage? Yeah, it's a it's a program that's come back into the market. Really, it's a temporary buy down option where we're working with the sellers getting them the sales price that they've been coming on at and getting credits for our buyers to help temporarily buy that rate down for the first year, second year, third year to get that payment down until they're ready to refinance into a long-term 30-year fix at that no rate. And before we finish up, I got to say thank you from all of our listeners. I think everybody knows by now that Jordan Flowers of Cross Country Mortgage gave away, I think close to 100, maybe a little less, tickets to Mitch Unfiltered fans for the stretch run of the Seattle Mariners season. That was incredibly kind of you, and it was great to get some unfiltered listeners who wouldn't ordinarily be at the last homestand to be there with you and Cross Country Mortgage. 
Mitch, that was so fun to do and partner with you on. And you're texting me like, email these people tickets, do this. Why haven't you emailed these people yet? It was like, it was just chaos. It was a frenzy. It was so fun to be a part of with that. So thank you for everybody for participating in that. And next year, we'll do more and they'll go further. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Jordan Flowers now of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Reach him directly. 425-890-2957. What a great partner. What a great sponsor for years now of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. All right, Hotshot Scott, episode 220, the other stuff segment. Shady Side, Ohio. Hello. What you haven't told us is how was Christmas? in the Sohn household. How is Santa Claus? Are we still believing in Santa Claus? Is it still all the presents at the at the bottom of the tree on on the morning of December 25th? Give us a visual of the of the hot shots. Well, because I'm recording from home, I got to be kind of careful about what I say because I'm <laughs> what's called a loud talker in somebody's home. Oh, um, but the answer is yes and yes and yes to all of it. Really? Um, but with but with. Yeah. W- w- when I'm at your house, we'll get into it further. Um <laughs> But with that crazy ice storm, like people were just paralyzed. You couldn't go anywhere. So we kind of fell behind a bit and there was a lot of scrambling on the 23rd and the 24th, but somehow pulled it off. But I got to tell you, it's something that may or may not be a little troubling as far as a gift that Piper got. You tell me what you think. By the way, before you tell me about that gift, what's the over (laughs) under of a typical kid when they go from believers to non-believers? She seems to be over that age. I think she's taking the over on this. Yeah, for sure. Um, but again, you got to realize that the one we're talking about, yes, um, that that person doesn't view it like a CSI cold case. I think that person doesn't want to get to the bottom of it, if you know uh, what I'm saying. Yes, because that would sort of signify the end of something. What would you say is the typical age? Uh, probably twelve, I'd say. And maybe, how old maybe is I'm she? Wrong, 11, 12, uh, 13. Okay, yeah. Um, as I looked at the door to see if it's cracked. <laughs> anyway, so she gets she gets a new sweatshirt, which, by the way, she has 4,000 hoodies. I'm glad another one came in the house. But yeah. she got a sweatshirt, and she opens up, oh, my God, I really wanted this. My friend has it. And I'm like, oh, what, what does it say on it? And it says, University of Colorado. Uh, I'm like, wait a second. Wait, is he having that kind of an effect already where – lifelong Husky fans in the no. Seattle area want to wear Colorado shit now? No. Come on. Come why, on. why Colorado of all the schools? Like Notre Dame, maybe I'd get her. I don't know, but Colorado? You no. really wanted that sweatshirt? I'm not buying it. it has anything to do with Deion Sanders. <laughs> okay, not buying good. it all. She must have a friend who's got an older brother or sister that goes to the University of Colorado. There's got to be. It's This is not Neon Dion. <laughs> produced no so, way no, Christ, no, effing way. no effing way no effing way so on, oh on my god on saturday i was gonna say sunday but most of the nfl games are played on saturday did you happen to see who was sitting next to robert Kraft in the owner's box of the patriots Bengals game i didn't but is it just me or does he always have like unique people sitting next i feel oh. like every third show we go hey did you see who was next to robert Kraft? oh this was a great one because i'm sure you've seen the video being the social media guru that you are did you see- i have not i was a little busy these past few days no 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 i'm talking about an old video of a week or two ago, remember when the Raiders on that last play of the game stung the Patriots? They tried a lateral a couple of weeks ago, and the Raiders picked it off and went for a touchdown on the last play of the game to beat the Patriots. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Did you see the video of the fan, the Raiders fan, the, the woman in the Raiders outfit reading the riot act to a Patriots fan right next to her? Did you oh, see I that? I missed it. Oh, come no. on. You haven't seen that video? That's right up my alley. You're the only person in the world. <laughs> That hasn't seen this video. <laughs> right after the Raiders beat the Patriots, she's standing next to another fan who's got a Patriots uniform on, a okay. Patriots jersey on. She gets right in his face, and she's pointing at him and screaming obscenities and taunting him right in his face, like right wow. next to her. And, yeah. you know, the whole world saw this video, and this guy just stood there, and he took it. He stared at her. He didn't say a word. He didn't say a word back. He didn't lift an arm. He didn't lift a fist. He didn't shove her away. She was right in his grill. you got to see the video. I can't believe you haven't seen the video. I she, can't either. She is just screaming. Yeah, I mean, hundreds of millions of people have seen this video. And so, so wait a minute. I want to make sure I understand. You're talking yes. about... a. A Raiders fan not acting like a polite person. Right. Is that was that what I'm getting out of this? Just want to make sure. Okay, I'm yeah. with you. Go ahead. She was she was relentless. She must have been drunk. She was relentless and just giving it to this guy, putting her finger in his face. <laughs> and the guy just stood there and did nothing in the Patriots uniform. Did nothing. Just took okay. it. And he would he would go on to say later, look, it was my first NFL game. I wasn't. I, I would never put my hands on a woman. I was not going to let. I was not going to make this scene even bigger than it was. I was just going to stand there and take it. Well, Robert Kraft saw the video. Unlike Hotshot Scott, even Robert Kraft <laughs> saw the video. Yeah, he's very hip. And he invited this guy. This guy's name is Jerry Edmond. He was the guy sitting the following Sunday with Robert Kraft in wow. the owner's box at Foxborough Stadium for the Bengals and the Patriots. How about that? And he flew him out. The whole thing. He just was so complimentary of the guy for holding his cool through all of that. Yeah. And now the Raiders have acted and they, they're like ashamed of their fans. So now they've invited the guy back. So the guy has gone from never having been into an NFL game <laughs> right, to sitting in the owner's box with Robert Kraft. And now he's <laughs> right. going back to be uh, guests of the of the Las Vegas Raiders for a future game, all because he took the shit from this woman. The guy's been to two NFL games and half of those games he's sat with the owner. Yes. That's not too bad, right? Yes. Half of his NFL games he's sat with the owner. And That's by the way, his favorite team, the Patriots, <laughs> Lost both of those games. He's 0-2 as a fan. <laughs> By the way, have you seen the, the preview for that movie 80 for Brady? Tom Brady. And for some reason, it's annoying the shit out of me. Can it, it is. And again, I don't I don't know. I don't hate Tom. He's just uh, enough with Tom Brady. But it's got Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Rita oh. Moreno, oh, yes. Sally Field. Yes, I've seen the I've seen the trailer for it. Why? Because I've seen two movies since the last time you and I were together last week. Ah, I've yes. seen one in the theater. Go ahead. What, what, have, you, what have you seen? I, I, why do I think that you and I have not seen the same movies? I would bet my entire home that I'm sitting in and both cars and my my marriage and you could have my child if you saw the movie that I saw over the break. I saw you go first. What movie did you see over the break? Violent Night. I don't know what that is. Oh, awesome. So good. I couldn't have loved it anymore. I'm not telling you to run out and see it, but... You know, it had a lot of gore, yeah. but I think a lot of people are going to love it. I, I laughed my ass off. I just I couldn't have loved oh, it anymore. It's a, but, it's a comedy, Violent Night. Yes, it's a it's a comedy, but super violent, and hence the name. And the guy that plays Santa Claus played Hopper in Stranger Things. I forget his name, but he's incredible in it. So yeah. anyway, I absolutely loved it. You're right. We didn't see the same movie. I saw okay, two, good. but I, I didn't see Violent. Yeah, you can keep your house now. <laughs> you can keep your house. I saw the Whitney Houston movie. Oh, and I yeah. saw a movie called The Whale. Have you heard about The Whale? I've heard a lot about the whale and yes. I'm going to see the whale. So we could have seen the same movie. We could have. Yes. So yeah. did, I, I need to know Whitney Houston. Was it 
Was it like my, my prediction was this needed to be like a six part HBO miniseries um, this is too much to get into. It's just such a heartbreaking story. The whole thing makes me sad. The whale yeah. makes me sad. I, I'm done. I think I'm done. I think I'm retiring from going to any movies that don't put a smile on my face. I think I'm finished. I went to two movies. Both have kind of tragic en- endings. I thought the Whitney Houston movie was okay. It was good. Yeah. I don't know that I would tell anybody to go f- see it in the, in the theaters. And I would say that the whale starring Brendan Fraser was pretty incredible. His performance was pretty incredible, but it's so dark and so sad. See, my, my wife checked out, and I think maybe yours did too. My, my wife checked out a long time ago. It's, it's all Hallmark movies or nothing. Like if it doesn't have a, t- a happy ending where you know, everything wraps up nicely, she's she, her sitting there watching Violet Night was pretty damn funny. Oh, she did. She, she watches watched it with you. nothing. Yeah, uh, well, it was Piper's. Oh, by the way, rated R, not a kid's movie. I got to tell everyone. <laughs> I, I was super uncomfortable sitting there with Piper. It was her uh, choice. But wow, that language is a uh, tad salty for a kid. But you're, yeah. you're, you're getting all your misery out in 2022. And then in 23, it's happy movies only for you. I guess come Academy Awards night, you're going to hear a lot about The Whale. You're going to hear a lot about Brendan Fraser. It's going to be up yeah. for a lot of different awards. Yep. I guess it was a great motion picture, but coming out of it, I was like, I wish I hadn't gone to see it because it just made me sad. I, wow, I don't, I don't need. Yeah, it just made me miserable. It made me sad. <laughs> Is I don't know. It based on a true story or no? I don't know if it is or isn't. But okay, he's getting like standing ovations. And, yeah, you know every every uh, festival that it plays at. So yeah, I'm definitely going to check it out, but I understand. I understand the performance. I understand the picture. It's just, I don't know that it was for me. I don't know that these movies, I I need uplifting in my life. I don't need sadness in my life anymore. So I don't know that I'm going anyway, other stuff segment. You got any other stuff that you want to throw out? Well, speaking of Patriots, this Willie McGinnis story, you see that at all? Yes. I have it on my list. You do. Okay. Well, I mean, he, he he's sharing his deep regret for attacking a man at a restaurant earlier this month. Yeah. Saying the incident should have never happened. He's got this insanely long apology about his, you know, he's a, he's a mentor and I feel horrible. But when you see the video, he com- goes right up to the guy, gets in his face. And then there's like five people that attack him, including him. It wasn't like he'd lost his temper, you know, at somebody in line and punch somebody. That was like a premeditated five people attacking one man video. Like, I don't know. He just seems like a scumbag. I don't know. I'm kind of out on him now. It's a pretty hard, harsh charge. He was arrested for felony assault with a deadly weapon. I think it was a bottle that they, yep. they called a deadly weapon. Yeah. The vi- I have not seen the video. I've read the accounts of it on TMZ, but he's not in good shape yeah. right now. And he's trying to obviously apologize for his actions. Where is the guy? Where, where's the victim? Is he in the hospital? Last I saw, they haven't named him. He's he, They haven't released his name for some reason, so right. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I assumed he lived or he would have been more serious charges, but I don't know. It's like lapse in judgment. Dude, you, you held the guy, didn't it? Five people beat, and then you grab yeah. a bottle? Yeah. Like, come on, man. Lapse in judgment. I don't yeah. know. that. The video really kind of like, you know, I, I love fight. Bit. That thing was pretty sickening to watch. This guy's, it takes a special kind of person to jump in with four other guys and beat the shit out of a guy who's clearly on the losing end of it. So I'm, I'm out on Willie McGinnis. I don't no feel question sorry for him about at all. It. No question yeah. about it. Transfer portal news for you. Let's Hot go. Shot. How would you how would you like the top Pac-12 wide receiver in terms of yards gained deciding to transfer to USC to be matched up with the current Heisman Trophy winner next year? You like that news? Uh, no, I do not. I don't care for that. Guy's name is Dorian Singer, played for Arizona, had 1,105 yards receiving and has decided to transfer to USC next year where he'll be, again, catching passes from Caleb Williams, the current nice. and reigning Heisman Trophy Award winner. 
University of Pittsburgh head football coach Pat Narduzzi is ripping, as everybody else is, the state of the NCAA transfer portal, saying that North Carolina quarterback, a guy by the name of Drake May, was actually offered $5 million by two schools to transfer. He said to the radio station in Pittsburgh, it's really a sad, sad deal because May had not even entered himself into the transfer portal. So these schools that were offering him $5 million oh. were contacting him directly without him even, wow. even announcing that he's transferring. Like he wasn't even showing any interest in right. leaving. And that's what's going on. That's a little behind-the-scenes look at what's going on, the sordid world of the transfer portal and the NIL. Are there tampering rules or yes. no? Yes. Oh, there are. Okay. Yes. If a guy's already signed, you can't reach out. He's no. got to be in the portal. You can't, okay. No, you can't You can't be offering the guy $5 million <laughs> when he's the quarterback of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Hey, go That's into the crazy. transfer portal. That's crazy. And, two, and Pat Narduzzi says two different schools did it. This is... The part that the the naysayers said would happen. Yeah, this is this is it right here. This is the stuff where we kind of all go. Eh. Yeah. I, I I wish this didn't go on, but I'm sure it went on behind the scenes anyway. So what's the difference these what's days, the difference? right? Yeah. Does that NFL Sunday ticket going to YouTube thing affect you? Are you oh, a Sunday ticket guy? I got lots of problems on my head. You think I'm stuck <laughs> in Hollywood, California? That's, you're the first person I thought of. Like, this guy's oh, never going to be able to figure out how to watch a freaking NFL game in his house again. Not to mention the <laughs> fact that I built the house around DirecTV and That's having right. all yeah, my yeah. television screens lined up to watch all these games. All these TVs are connected to a DirecTV oh, God. receiver. Oh, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I got <laughs> I got to figure it out. I got to call my audio video guy over real pronto and get him yes. over to teach me how to get YouTube on all these televisions. Because you got problems. And now. now, what do you do if you're a DirecTV subscriber with the whole dish and all the receivers? What do we oh. do? The only reason I, I did it, I used it, was for the NFL Sunday ticket. Now I don't need it yeah. anymore. So I don't know. I think do. you and a lot of other people, that's the reason they had DirecTV because yes. the Sunday ticket was so amazing, especially if you're an out-of-towner and you want to watch your home team. It's great, you know? I would imagine that DirecTV will just fold up, won't it? I mean, who's going to... Is DirecTV going to survive this? Isn't that the only reason that DirecTV was even around the last many years? It it does feel that way. That was like the one edge they had on everyone else was their the Sunday ticket thing was huge, but that's it. I've been saying for years, YouTube gets more eyeballs than every TV network combined. I'm guessing. I mean, Um, YouTube is, is just taking over. So I'm really not surprised by that. Would you even know how to watch YouTube on your TV right now? If you had to. Yeah. I mean, I have Comcast, so um, not that I want to do an ad for them because they take enough of my effing money and I would love to cut the cord at some point, but yeah, (laughs) it's a, it's an app that comes on Xfinity, just like Amazon prime or Netflix, which is actually pretty nice of them that, yeah, or I could do it through my Xbox. But yeah, you just hit, you just say YouTube into your remote and it pops right up. Now, searching around on YouTube is kind of a pain in the ass with the remote. But yeah, I could do it. So if I were to replace the DirecTV receivers, you would say just replace them with more Xfinity stuff so that I could watch YouTube on those TVs where I normally would watch the games? What, I work for Best Buy all of a sudden? <laughs> How do I know what the hell you're supposed to do? Christ. I don't know. I'm freaking <laughs> I out. I don't know either. I'm freaking out is all I can tell you. As you were, as were... All the Argentina. Did you see the parade or the would-be parade? Oh, my The World gosh. Cup celebration in Argentina over the soccer team. Did you see that? It looked like CGI. There were so many people out there. They had to Crazy. cancel it. Well, it was abruptly called off on Tuesday because millions of people poured into thoroughfares and 
highways and overpasses and a chaotic oh. attempt just to a, catch a glimpse of the national team that won that uh, World Cup championship in like dramatic fashion. I think they airlifted the team. The team had a the players had to abandon the uh, you know the open air bus transporting them to Buenos Aires and through the streets because it just was out of control. They airlifted them above it and Crazy. canceled the whole parade. It was just out of control in Buenos Aires. Well, you'll be happy to know that the, the women who took their tops off in Qatar following Argentina's World Cup win have made it out of the country unscathed. I know you were having trouble sleeping, yes. hoping that they were going to be okay, yes. but they managed to avoid arrest despite their risque celebrations, drawing the ire of many in the conservative state. Oh, yeah, I don't know if you saw the video. Um, I, I didn't. I just heard about it. I mean, it's not my style to go look something like that up. The Lionel Messi fans... <laughs> They were identified on Instagram oh, as Milu Barbie and Noe, I guess I'm saying it right, a.k.a. La Chica Del Topless. <laughs> they showed on Tuesday morning that they, they both made it to their respective homes without oh, issues. Geez. So, yes, we can all sleep peacefully. And another quick soccer note, I guess uh, Pele, his health has taken a turn for the worse. Oh, no. With local doctors announcing his cancer has advanced and is currently receiving elevated care for kidney and heart issues, according to the AP. So, Positive thoughts to 82-year-old Pele. I'm left with three RIPs unless you have some other stuff that you want to get to before we get to the RIPs. Comedian Jay Moore. Oh, talk yes. Talk about playing your cards right. Yes, yes. The new Mrs. Mr. Genie Bus, right? Mr. J Bus. He's probably, he should take her name. But yes, Jay Moore and the comedian and, and Genie Bus who quietly dated, started dating in 2017. Yeah. Uh, they're engaged. Yeah. A gay, and she looks like she's head over heels for this guy. It's remember she was engaged to Phil Jackson. Yeah, I thought that they were married. No, no, they split in 2016. Jay Moore, who was married to Nikki Cox for ten years before also getting divorced in wow. 2016, is gonna be. Uh, well, I'm sure there's a pretty good prenup involved, but you know he's gonna be Mr. Laker. That's incredible. By the way, I, I got to say, Jay Moore, he is vastly underrated in the impression department. Oh, really? He's unbelievable. I didn't know his that. impressions. I didn't know that. The problem is, like, what he would say is that if my stupid friends like Colin Quinn would get more famous, I'd be the greatest impressionist on earth. But <laughs> who wants to hear Colin Quinn impression right? or a Norm McDonald impression? But he does like old and young Pacino. His his Pesci's great. Anyway, I, I'm, a, I'm a Jay Moore fan. He's 52 years old. I have three RIPs, and they're all from the sports world. Do you have any RIPs? Yeah, I'm sure we have the same one, which okay. was kind of caught us out of the blue, a pro football Hall of Famer. Former Seahawks running back Franco Harris yeah. passed away That's suddenly oof. at the age of 72, just a few days before his jersey retirement. 12,000 yards, four Super Bowl rings, the most popular play in history, the Immaculate Reception against the yep. Raiders. It's the 50th anniversary. They were getting ready to celebrate that. He dies just a couple of days before his jersey was retired. Really super sad. And he died suddenly. You know the story about him being a Seahawks player. Yep. 51 hours after Kurt Warner was injured in 1984, the Seahawks called the out of work, the suddenly out of work Franco Harris, and they signed him. He played eight games. He was a Seahawk for 56 days. And when he joined the Seahawks in 1984, he was 363 yards away from Jim Brown's all-time NFL rushing record. So he figured, hmm. I'm going to sign with the Seahawks and I'm going to catch Jim Brown and become the all-time leading rusher. Well, that yeah. didn't happen because he had 68 carries for 170 yards. Wallace Seahawk. He needed 363. 
And in an interesting twist, in a game against the Chicago Bears in 1984, in the kingdom, a running back by the name of Walter Payton actually passed Franco Harris for number oh, two weird. overall <laughs> in the uh, so not only did he not join the Seahawks and catch Jim Brown but he joined the Seahawks for 56 days and he watched Walter Payton in person jump him on the all-time running backs list so there if you had to explain to somebody who had never seen Franco Harris run the ball right how would you explain why he was so good because he's not the fastest guy you ever saw. He's not the quickest. He's not the biggest or the strongest. What the hell made him so? I mean, he was pretty big at 6'2", 230, but why was he so damn good? It's hard I don't to know. explain. He ran, he ran very tall. He was a very tall runner. Wore yeah. number 32 out of Penn State. Actually wore 34 with the Seahawks because there was a guy by the name of Cullen Bryant who, oh, was, sure, wearing, yeah. who was wearing number 32 at the time, so he couldn't get 32. But yeah, he was always accused of going out of bounds early, you know, kind of uh -huh. preserving his body and not taking a hit. But he was a great yeah. running back. But yes, I, I see your point. Wasn't particularly fast. Wasn't like breaking tackles. Yeah, I, it's maybe weird. He was maybe, so good, though. Maybe he was just on a great team, too. That's the other thing. Maybe they had an unbelievable Hall of Fame offensive yeah. line in Pittsburgh. Of course, they had a great team. But he passes away at the age of 72. Do you remember the name Tom Browning? Yeah, sure. 62-year-old Tom Browning passed away on Monday, according to Boone County Sheriff's Office in Kentucky. You'll recall he was the left-hander of the Cincinnati Reds. He spent 12 seasons with the Reds and Kansas City Royals. He finished with 123 victories. He finished with a 3.94 ERA. He was an All-Star in 1991. And his career highlight was that he threw a perfect game for the Reds against the Los Angeles Dodgers at the time, it was only the 12th perfect game in Major League Baseball history. Wow. Tom Browning dead at the age of 62. And then I've got former Broncos running back. This is a really yeah. sad story. Ronnie got Hillman, only one. 31 years old. Ugh. A rare form of kidney cancer. He was a running back for the Broncos for several years. I think he was on the team that the Seahawks beat in the Super Bowl. I think he played in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. I'm not sure about that. But he passes away at the age of 31. Yeah, that is that was a rough one. 31. Yeah, it was a rare but highly aggressive neoplasm form of cancer that yeah. primarily affects young African Americans with the sickle cell trait. 31. 31. Yeah, there was a picture of him and Demarius Thomas on the. Somebody tweeted it out. Like oh, I can't believe God. these guys are both gone. And I I didn't I knew about Demarius, but I didn't know about Ronnie Hillman at the time. And yeah, this is exactly the reason that I don't need sad movies in my life anymore. <laughs> no I'm kidding. serious. I'm serious. When you ask me. Mitch, why don't why do you feel badly going to see the whale? Because we have enough of this stuff that gets us down in real life. Why am I paying eighteen dollars to go to a movie theater to be depressed again to see some right. some depiction on my screen? I need uplifting movies because we have stories like Ronnie Hillman at thirty one losing his fight with cancer. Awful, awful stories. Yeah, I don't awful, need right. I, don't, I don't need to see it in the theaters. I need yeah. to be entertained in a different way in the theaters, I've decided. I'm sure when he was 30, he didn't say, well, I'll, I'll have one more Christmas left. Unbelievable, right? Uh, yeah, God. it's just too young, crazy, yep. Headlines? Yes, sir. You ready? Yep. A bakery in Louisville is making festive holiday treats for your dog. The treats are so tasty, the bakery claims your dog will think they're butthole licking good. An elderly French man who had an antique World War I bomb lodged in his rectum prompted a bomb scare and evacuation of a hospital in southern France. I'm sure some of you won't believe this story as it sounds like a bit of a stretch. 
In Thailand, Santa was delivering presents door-to-door on an elephant. You can probably imagine the occasional present the elephant itself would leave behind in people's <laughs> yards. <laughs> Some present, huh? And finally, the Burien, Washington Police Department made a massive $10 million bust, seizing drugs, cash, cars, and guns. Coincidentally, the Burien Police Holiday Party has never been more fun. <laughs> Well, and I, that's all I got. Uh, well, I hope everybody had a, uh, a very merry, happy, and healthy Christmas. And, of course, the new year is right around the corner. So everybody have a great week, a great holiday week, and we'll be back for episode 221. But for now, episode 220 from Hollywood and it's a, no, Snoqualmie is yes. in the books.